Ryan Reynolds here from Mint Mobile. With the price of just about everything going up during inflation, we thought we'd bring our prices down. So to help us, we brought in a reverse auctioneer, which is apparently a thing. Mint Mobile Unlimited Premium Wireless. How to get 30, 30, to get 30, how to get 20, 20, 20, how to get 20, 20, to get 15, 15, 15, 15, just 15 bucks a month? So, Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. Hey, it's Paige DeSorbo from Giggly Squad. High quality fashion without the price tag. Say hello to Quince. I'm snagging high-end essentials like cozy cashmere sweaters, sleek leather jackets, fine jewelry, and so much more. With Quince being 50 to 80% less than similar brands. And they partner with factories that prioritize safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. I love that. Luxury quality within reach. Go to quince.com slash style to get free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. Quince.com slash style. You are listening to highlights from the Opinion Line on Cork's 96FM. To hear the full show, download the podcast from iTunes or see 96FM.ie. The Opinion Line with PJ Coogan on Cork's 96FM. Good morning, it's Dee here in for PJ on Friday. Uh, do not adjust your set. <laughs> you might be a little bit confused after the last couple of days, but it's the Friday of the August bank holiday weekend. You might be forgiven for thinking it was sometime in November, <laughs> looking out the window this morning. I guess the forecast isn't brilliant for the weekend, and I don't know about you, but a lot of people going on their staycation this week and this weekend. Casey and Ross both off next week. I'm off to Bantry in the rain for the weekend with two small children in a hotel room. That's definitely going to go well. Uh, if you are planning your staycation, and you want to let me know where you're going and what you're up to do that 083 Of course, a lot of people moving around the country at the moment and we are seeing a rise in coronavirus cases. I think the number announced last night of 85 confirmed cases is the highest daily number since late May. Um, I'm not a medic and I'm not a statistician, but it looks to me like we might be starting off in the second wave. Having said that, very few of the cases are associated with travel. Very few of them are associated with um, any kind of social activity. It seems to be an outbreak largely in a dog food factory. Um, and that outbreak is related then to two outbreaks in two asylum centres because many of the people living in the asylum centres are working in the dog food factory. Um so there is is limited scope, I think, for that to spread in the community if everyone is, is being careful. But having said that, would it give you cause for concern? Does it do you find it a bit um a bit worrying generally? Uh we are seeing still that there is still a bit of a question mark over whether pubs will open on the 10th of August um, obviously if you're going away this week that doesn't really affect you but if you are planning to take your staycation and use your use your tax break later in August or indeed in September or if you're a publican or a bar worker listening um, I'd love to hear from you about that Tanisha Leo Varadkar said in the doll that he couldn't guarantee the cabinet would give the green light for pubs to reopen next month and of course Michal Martin said that on this very show he actually he, he said that for the first time in this show that that was not a certain um, thing by any means so it does um, it does raise the question of what's going to happen to all those small businesses around the country and indeed some larger businesses but for many people in rural Ireland certainly 
that's there's a strong vibe of some pubs that just won't open up again and that um, that will be lost to their local town. Primetime of course last night did uh, I think some kind of an expose on um, pubs that were serving drink without food. Now I know anecdotally a number of people who have been served drink without food in places in and around Cork City and County Cork. Um, it is definitely happening. I think everybody has their own view on the rights and wrongs of that. Obviously, it's not um, it's not permitted under the guidelines, but I think people are not hugely outraged about it where it is happening. All the people that is, except for the pubs that don't serve food that are not allowed to open and thus do not have the option of that. Dennis Deneen is from Deneen's Bar in McCroom. Good morning, Dennis. Good morning, Lee. How are you? I'm not too bad, Dennis. I'd say, to be honest, I'm, I'm probably a bit better than you at the moment. Things things are not looking great for people in your line of work. Oh, definitely not. No, no, definitely. Um, it's, I don't know, it's just, it's getting tough and tougher every week, do you know? Yeah. Like, um, the, the goalposts have moved on you a couple of times now. Oh, yeah, big time, yeah. Like, I, I had all my stock um, to be returned and I was sure that we'd opened up again and I got all new stock in again, so I'd say that'll all have to be taken back again for the second time. Um, it's like McCroom has hit hard there over the last couple of years, pub boys. Um, there was over 52 pubs in McCroom one time, it's down to seven pubs now. So yeah. it's, 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 it's a dying, you know, it's getting tougher and tougher. And this is right nail in the coffin now, you know. Yeah, and yours is a real family business. It's not just it you; it's your son and your daughter as well. Yeah, 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 yeah. It's um, four generation, like you know. Yeah. So it's like it, it, it's tough for my son as well, you know. Um, he um, he's he's living in his own house. He's renting out, you know. And mm. um, one of the people living with him moved out recently, so it's harder again for him, you know. So. Yeah, it's like um, the three fifty a week COVID that we're getting. So, like, being honest, I give that to my wife every week, you know. Mm. And the money he's getting, that's going towards rent, you know, bills that he has to pay. Yeah. So, like, it's a livelihood, like, you know. Yeah, and of course those don't cover your other bills no, that you have. No, 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 definitely not. No, like while I'm closed, I still have to pay insurance. I, I, I accounting fees, ESB. I have to go down every second day, turn on the courtroom, the chiller, glass washer, ice machines. You know, all, all that still has to be done. You know. Mm. So it, it, it's, 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 it, it is tough. Like it is very tough at the moment. Do you? I suppose we know the scientific reason behind the pubs with food that if people are eating they're not talking and shouting and singing and the allegedly there's less transmission. Um like do you accept the logic of that or you just do you just feel that you've been left behind? Oh I feel we we've been left behind big time because like I I I can't see them it makes no real sense to me you know they'd right to leave the whole lot off together the bar Leave the bar and the bar restaurant be the same. Do you know what I mean? Mm. To disperse the code evenly around the country as well. Like, those people trying to get into restaurants just to get drink. As simple as yeah. that. Oh, absolutely, there are. And, yeah. and, 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 and that is happening, like, mm. you know? Like, it, it it's like, as they're telling us that we won't be able to control our own premises. 
which I have no problem thinking that I would be able to handle it. Yeah. I'm, I'm handling it on my life. Do you know what I mean? Yeah. Like, if you can't you know? open again on the 10th of August, Dennis, will you be reopening ever? It, 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 that's what I'm saying. It's getting tougher and tougher. Do you know? Yeah. It is getting tougher, like, do you know? It, like, as I said, the order was 52 pubs in Boom one time. It's down to seven pubs now. Like, there's a lot of things down through the years that are after hitting pubs. And this 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 is a this is a right kick now really, like, you know. Mm. And of course there's this latest thing with the self employed, um the changes to the welfare payments that uh, directors of companies and now you mightn't be a director you're probably a, a sole trader are you? Yeah I'm a director I'm a limited company oh, You're a limited yeah. company yeah. So yeah. It, it seems that um, for once there, there are changes being brought in in the legislation at the moment and the directors actually aren't going to be entitled to any, any welfare payment I don't know has that kind of come across your radar yet? Yeah but that's another thing that, that like w- w- how are they coming up with these things? You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. Like, like it's 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 hard to survive or be lost. Very hard. Like three fifty week. Like that that I use that to my wife every week. Do you know what I'm saying? Mm-hmm. It's 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 just not on. Like and like trying to open up now again with 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 cost again. And I still have I still will have tax bills next year. Yeah. How am I going to pay for them if I'm not open? Trying to get, you know, it's it's a big loss. You know what I mean? Yeah, it is, of course. You know? You're the fourth generation operating the pub, Dennis. It's, yeah, um, yeah. It's an emotional thing as well as a business thing, isn't it? Oh yeah, big time, big time. Yeah, you know, it is like, and like it's 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 honestly it's not good for a person either. You know, mm. you know, like it was grand that the first the first month six weeks was. You'd have plenty of things to keep in mind, occupied, like doing things below on the bar. I'd done a lot while I was closed and done a lot of stuff at home and all that, you know. Mm. But no, it's, 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 you know, it's when there's nothing to be done, only wait, it is a waiting game, you know, that's it, yeah. you know. And what will you do if it looks like that wait isn't going to come to an end anytime soon? <laughs> I just don't know. I don't know. I don't know. I, 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 I just won't be able to wait any longer. Right, so, you know, mm. you know, it's like um, fair play. All the, the suppliers and all that. No, have have been very good, very good all through this. You know, but like they must be getting fairly frustrated with all that as well. Yeah, absolutely. You know, like I know it, it's they're still getting income in, you know, because they're supplying the supermarkets and the off licenses and all that. But they surely miss the pubs as well, you know, because the reps like to come into the bar and talk to the customers and, you know. Yeah. But, like, the pub, the pub, people go to the pub to meet after a hard day's work. They meet up, have a chat. Like, it's it's not all bad, you know, and it's not all, all big crowds. Like you'll be the only time you'd see a big crowd in the bar now is a Saturday night, mm. and even 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 compared to years ago, they are few and far between. Yeah, yeah. Only you know? if there's a party or something. Exactly. Usually, usually exactly. in a country town. I know myself. Exactly. Like, and, and the 
I suppose when when you were doing that work in the bar with the prospect of reopening, did you put in screens and kind of rearrange I, tables and that kind of stuff? I I've done all that really below. Yeah. I've my hand sanitizers up. I've I've my dividers. I've floor signage. I've signage on the door. Signage on the walls. I've I do all that. I partitions with timber framed with perspex. All that. Yeah. You know. So you invested and, probably a fair amount of money in that as well. I I, I am yeah of course yeah. Mm-hmm. So, yeah. Dennis, we'll but we'll it, hopefully talk to you on the tenth of August and hopefully you'll be reopening. If oh, not hopefully, hopefully, yeah. Yeah, If not, yeah. I guess we'll check in with you anyway and see see yeah, how yeah. that's going no, because okay. it's no, okay. um it's a lot of uncertainty for you and I hope uh, you can keep keep the head above water for the time being anyway. We'll, we'll try, you know. We'll yeah. Try. yeah. Yeah, Den- Dennis from Denine's in McCroom. And does like I, I've spoken to a couple of people who have family pubs in very small villages and that who won't be reopening. There, there's no point. Um, they have normally sort of five outfillers in at the bar, you know, on a Tuesday evening between seven and ten, and that's their usual daily trade. And it wasn't making money anyway, but they were doing it because they had a bit of a farm or they had a bit of a business on the side or some other thing that they were doing or trade. And they're just not going to reopen. And I think there's an awful lot of villages that are going to be missing somewhere then for after the communion or after the confirmation or the day two of the wedding or whatever it is that those places just won't be there. And I wonder if if that's something that was going to happen anyway or if this is... I know there's there's an aspect of it where you'd wonder is it nearly a deliberate policy, um, but I wouldn't like to be that cynical about it. From the other perspective, I suppose you have big city bars and suburban bars that have big crowds that serve food that um, that are in a different um, category entirely, and they're the pubs that have done well over the last few years, I suppose. But even they, I think, are finding things difficult at the moment. Peter Collins is the owner of Barry's and Douglas, and I'll speak to him shortly. This is Court's Gold Imro Award-winning talk show, The Opinion Line with PJ Coogan. Text or WhatsApp now, 0833-969696. On Court's 96FM. So we've heard about the small pubs, the issues with them, but the bigger bars, the ones that do serve food, I suppose are officially really just restaurants now, aren't they, Peter Collins from Barry's? Good morning, dear. Yes, that's right. Uh, I've just sent your researcher uh, a minute ago that you know it's it's restaurant service. Um, forget about bars and pubs for the moment, and uh, we're operating under very strict guidelines put down by the government. And it's uh, liquor can be served with a substantial meal, and that's what we've been doing since uh, we opened in in late June. Mm, and I mean that's very different because I suppose people expect different things from pub grub than they expect from restaurants. Uh, they do, but I suppose look in, in the last many years, you know, the whole uh, quality of, of food served in, in 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 different bars and, and restaurants and gastro pubs or you know just so many names now mm. um, has has uh, you know come come away up in, in quality and standard. Um, so um, you know we've been operating that restaurant here in Barry's for for a long long time. Um, so we've been you know look we've been very happy with the reaction so far. Um, People are still getting their heads around the time limit, I think, is probably mm. the big one. Um, you know, and um, contact tracing when you come in is, is another part of it. A um, little bit of confusion also with people, you know, thinking that they, they need to ring in and pre-book. Um, but, you know, you can you can walk up and book your table there and then in, in okay. many premises, not 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 just mine now. Yeah. But, you know, I think the, I think the, the, the public are, are have got their head around how, how places are operating. Mm. And it's certainly, as time has gone on, it's become a little bit slicker. Yeah, and in terms then of your nighttime trade, like, that's kind of gone really, is it? 
Well, again, Deirdre, it's you know we're operating as a restaurant, and it's it's not we we don't look at it as as you know a bar because mm. you're 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 not operating as a bar, you know. Yeah. Um, so you know your last food food order is at half past eight, nine o'clock, and you add on your you know uh, 100 minutes onto that and and you know that's your that's your closing time yeah so yes it is very different but i have to say out here in douglas you know in, in barry's you know people have been you know received the whole thing is received very well and people's you know they're coming back and they, they they're they're enjoying their night okay so you're managing but it's not ideal we're managing. It's 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 not ideal, um, but look, that's what you got to do. And you know, it's very uncertain times. And you know, you have to be cognizant that there has been you know you know terrific social changes there with the you know the, this virus. And uh, you know, I think we were all reading last night and this morning about another you know tiny surge again up up the country. And mm. you know, we, we all have to be careful. And we all don't lose focus. You know. Yeah, and I suppose the fact that it is, at least with this one now, I'm being told here that that cluster in the dog food factory was actually only 20 of the 84 cases. So there, I know there was a couple in Clare, there, there were a few in different areas of the country. I didn't hear anything much about Cork. Um, so I gather there, there is nothing major happening here at the moment. But I suppose there's, there are a lot of tourists um, travelling at the moment. Like, and I, like, I personally have been contacted by a lot of people I know, say from Dublin or who are living elsewhere up the country. You know, where do I go in Cork? What's, you know, what do I go and see where do I eat mm. like are you seeing a lot of domestic tourists at the moment that wouldn't be your kind of standard trade really uh, we would we, we, we'd see a lot of domestic tourists this time of year we would um, and you would you normally a, yeah uh, we would yeah really? we would no, no yeah if the weather's like okay if the weather's fine you're not because people are going ahead for the coast yeah. um, which is you know but but generally the bog standard Irish weather summer unfortunately um, you know we do see a lot of domestic tourists you see a lot of people off the north actually but generally we're not seeing them this year yeah. um, but certainly Dublin Kilkenny Waterford um, you get a lot of, and remember Cork's kind of a transit point too for West Cork and stuff yeah. and I, I have a sister property down in Carrigaline the, the Carrigaline Court Hotel and we get a lot of people stopping there and staying there for, oh, for, uh, for a day or two and then you know heading west the wide Atlantic way and, and so on so you know where you know Cork is, has a lot to offer and like that it does tend to be short term to be fair mm. but you know they still come and we're certainly seeing uh, a lot of a lot of people outside us but again you know I do have to say uh, I want to comment on this that the public have been you know people have bought into the whole um, you know social distancing contact tracing the, the checking in watching themselves and, and the general, generally you know people um, are, are adhering to the guidelines set down by the government and you know it, it's been a, I wouldn't say it's flawless but it's certainly uh, working very well you know Okay, okay. So look, that's that's a more positive side of it. Thanks, Peter, for that because it, it's important to remember. I suppose that it is working out for some people, um, to to some extent, and the people are kind of doing their best to follow the guidelines. That show on prime time last night, people, a lot of people, are very, very annoyed about it. Um, they seem to feel that um, reporters were kind of going to pubs and really kind of entrapping the bar staff. I don't know about that because I didn't see it, but that's the commentary I'm seeing online. Um, have you been to a pub where you've just been served a drink without? any question of food being given to you because that is unfair to the likes of Dennis and Denise and McCroom who doesn't serve food so hasn't got the option to open um, going back to the figures for Cork uh, Cork has done very well since that initial surge petered out yeah that was the case since quite early and it's really Fergal wasn't it um, Cork had a couple of the early prominent cases one of the first deaths of course had arisen in County Cork um, and it, after that I think people kind of got a fright to be honest and people in Cork were particularly careful um, so and obviously 
obviously there was that um, the meat factory, the two meat factories, I think, and the surge there. But other than that, there doesn't seem to have been a huge amount of cases actually in County Cork at all. Um, the other thing I mentioned earlier to Dennis from Denise and McCroom was this issue about the self-employed people who are company directors but who work in their own company so people who run restaurants and cafes and pubs and all those kind of people as well as other businesses I'm sure shops and things as well um, apparently new changes to the uh, legislation governing the social welfare payments that are um, keeping people going during the pandemic, the PUP and the uh, wage subsidy scheme, the TWIST they call it, TWSS, are now um, not going to apply to directors. So people who, you know, wash the plates and serve the coffee in their own cafes but happen to be a director of the company operating the cafe will not be entitled to any wage subsidy. Um even though they're keeping other people in work. It's a bit of a strange one and it seems to be just another misstep from the new government. They were so good to set up things so quickly um, when the pandemic started and we always knew, I suppose, that unwinding them would be difficult. But the way they're going about it now just seems to be kind of chaotic. Richard Jacobs from Idaho Cafe has written an open letter to the government about this and I'll speak to him in a few minutes. Now, if you're self-employed, if you're a director of the company and you work in the company, were you aware that there were changes being made to the social welfare? You've been receiving the wage subsidy scheme. Um, The changes are being made at the moment that will apparently disqualify you only you within your business from receiving the wage subsidy scheme. Your employees will still get it, but you won't. Am I am I interpreting that correctly, Richard? Richard Jacobs, from Idaho. You are. Well, that's what we're being told. We only found about found out about it a couple of days ago when someone mentioned it. Like everyone else, self-employed, we've just been working flat out, trying to keep customers safe and weren't really watching what was happening. But apparently, they put a little tiny line on about page six in the new bill with the new wage subsidy which says if you're self-employed and if you're a propriety director so if you're working in your business you will not be entitled to any subsidy and to put it in perspective this isn't about this isn't about us this is about every small business up and down the country like if you take say the window cleaners who are doing albert key they're not, they have no business because the offices are closed because everyone's working from home. And so you've got two guys there who set up a business and they're now absolutely no income. And now the government is saying, you're not getting anything from us from the 1st of September because you, you, you own the company. And does this apply both to the pandemic unemployment payment and to the wage subsidy or do you know that? I think it's just a subsidy because I, don't, I don't believe you get the unemployment. If you're working, you don't get the, oh, yeah, of course. Okay. the other one. Okay. But what, so, it, what it's doing, like basically every business in Ireland turned around, and we all closed for four months. Like we closed a month before, a week before we were ordered to close because mm-hmm. we wanted to keep people safe. Every business is closed, and now we're being told, okay, you've done your best, you've closed for four months, you've reopened with half the number of tables that you had. Like we're reopening with seating 12 people where we seated 32. Like, on a wet day like today with no outside tables, our business isn't a viable business. We reopened because we love and respect our customers and our amazing team who work here. We're not going to make any money in the foreseeable future. Mm-hmm. But we, we reopened because we're not going to let down our team and we're not going to let down our customers. And we've said, okay, so we're, it's a, 
you can put a rough figure on how much money you're going to lose until you get back to some kind of normality. And yes, but yesterday we found out that the government had basically thrown every small business under the bus and gone off on holidays. How many employees do you have, Richard? We have, including my wife, there's, there's six of us here. Okay. So, and, but neither myself nor my wife. My wife is the chef. I make the coffee. So I'm standing beside Colleen. Colleen's going to get the benefit. I'm not. So I'm going to be coming in every morning getting up at 5 o'clock, working 60 hours a week minimum and walking away from a business that isn't making any money. If I draw a salary without any subsidy, I'm going to be trading recklessly because I'm going to be taking a salary from a business that's loss-making. And you can't do that. And the government are just looking at it and saying, well, tough, you're a director. And I think the government live in this little cloud cuckoo land Douglas Golf Club thing where they think that oh look he's the director of a company he must be just sitting around in a big car drinking drinks and going to Kinsale Golf Club well they have no idea how hard people who are self-employed work mm. It's one of the things I suppose when all these subsidies were brought in and we had Regina Doherty who was the minister at the time on the show about it um, was that it, by paying the businesses to stay open you avoid this domino situation where suddenly you have loads of people unemployed then you have businesses closing then you have bank loan, banks um, foreclosing on loans like what happens to you Richard if you are trading if you, if you do have to trade at a loss you can't draw a wage and you have to close the business I mean, that's, that's Armageddon for you, isn't it? It is. It's, it's Armageddon for us, and it's Armageddon for us, our team who work here. Like, you know, we all have mortgages. We're all working away. We have a business that's entirely viable, has a wonderful following of customers. All we're saying is that we need the same support that everyone else is getting. We're not looking for a dig-out or a handout. Like, for us, if we were to close this business, like, we looked, after the first four months of being closed, we looked and said we would actually be better off to close our doors, lock them for 12 months mm. and just wait until things calm down. And at least that way you can quantify your loss at a year's rent. We're still paying our rent. We've been paying our rent since the day we closed. Mm. We're getting no leeway on that. And at least you could quantify a loss. But if we have to close, like... The C103. Yeah, sorry, go on. Then that's, that's everyone here out of a job. It's another shuttered business on a corner. It's uh, all our lovely suppliers in the chicken inn in the English market, like the chicken inn that we order from every day, losing another account. And the whole thing just trickles down. Mm. Like, f f the amount of money that the government will say, will have to pay out is negligible compared to the amount of money that will pay out if businesses start closing. And the, I'm not on trying to threaten the government. I'm on trying to wake them up and make them realise just the extent of the damage that they're doing. One line that some civil servant put in because they thought they could save a few quid yeah. and it's going to throw businesses up and down the country under a truck. Now, we did get on to Michael McGrath for you. I saw that both Michael McGrath and Simon Coveney replied to your tweet last night. Um, I'm just going to turn down your mic a little bit because you have a car or a truck or something yeah. reversing there beside you. Um, and uh, the Michael McGrath did come back to us this morning. He, he can't come on because both he and Simon Coveney actually are at the North-South Ministerial Council this morning. But he said the issue of proprietary directors not being included in the new wage subsidy scheme has been raised by many business owners around the country in the last couple of days. I spoke with Minister Dunhu on the issue last night 
date as the bill was sponsored by his department. Contact has been made with the revenue commissioners and a number of options to resolve this are being examined. I would hope we'll have an outcome to this shortly. The aim of the government is to solve this issue as we fully recognise how valuable this wage subsidy scheme is to so many businesses. That, that might be a little bit of hope for you. It is, and I appreciate it, and I appreciate the fact that both him and Simon Coverley did respond on social media as well, because that's the whole point of it, mm. is having, being able to start a conversation and open a conversation. I would question, though, why this was signed into place yeah. in, the, in the first place. There's no point in signing into place legislation willy-nilly that's going to be absolutely critically damaging to business and just see if you get away with it. Yeah. I mean, I think at this stage, we need leadership. We need to look and say, we have a government who's going to take us out of this crisis. I don't want a government that's going to go off on seven weeks holiday and say, oh, sorry, we patch that up now as soon as we can mm. after our hollybobs. That's not good enough. The country has given everything. We're in it together is the hashtag that we're all supposed to be using. Well, as far as I can see, we're in it together and they're off on holidays. And I've, I've had enough of it. Okay. I understand, Richard, where you're coming from and I, I can understand the, the hurt, I think, that's out there. Aidan Duke from Duke's Coffee Company, thanks, Richard, is on the line as well about this. Um, you have, of course, Duke's Coffee in Carey's Lane and at Citygate. Good morning, Aidan. Good morning, how's it going? It's a bit Duke? quieter where you are anyway. Where are you today? I'm upstairs in Carey's Lane here. It's a bit quieter, yeah. Yeah, with the, with the day that's in it, I'd say there's not too many people out and about. No, no, we're okay. It's, it's buzzy enough down there. It's fine. Good. Good. Well, that's that's positive. We'll start on the positive note. How yeah. has business been since you since you reopened? Um, so, like Richard was saying, I mean, we, um, we we closed for three months, three and a half months, kind of thing, um, and then we reopened. There's these fantastic subsidies. The TWSS was great. The Restart Grant was great. These uh, Leo vouchers um, were great. Um, and then we reopen, and all the worry about is there a, is there an appetite for hospitality? Do people want to visit cafes and bars and restaurants? And thankfully, people have, and they've supported us. And like Richard was saying, we have a, an amazing loyal family uh, of customers who've been visiting us, and they, they keep coming back even in the middle of a pandemic, which is fantastic. Um, so, answering your question, business has been very, very good in the city centre of late, but it's. Great. You know, it's summertime and there's lots of indigenous tourism going on and lots of people um, visiting their own city again, you know. Um, so it's great. It's been great. Um, nothing but positive. And then okay. this happens the last two days, you know. It kind of feels at the moment, and I know, I mean, you're not the only ones that are feeling a little bit let down at the moment. We spoke to Steph uh, Jack, Jack Canelli, I think his name was the other day, about he's a, a sound engineer who is currently um, oh, unemployed. Yeah, yeah, and basically nothing, this, this thing about having to look for work, he's yeah. self-employed. So if he does go looking for work, his, you know, he loses his payment. If he takes one day's work, he loses the payment and, and he's waiting for the next event to be on and we could be waiting a long time for that. So I think there's seems to be a number of different categories of people who have been kind of rolled over in the in the latest couple of changes to these payments but small business is a very large part of the economy it's huge and and the the, ten, the tentacles of a small business are far reaching it's staff it's revenue it's suppliers it's landlords it's cox city council i mean w- w- without businesses like richard and myself there is no real Cork City, you know. I mean, yeah. we're the small independent people, businesses that that make the difference here. And then when we read this, it, it you know, you know, it gets to me. And it, it, you know, obviously it's the money as well. I mean, and, and let's be clear about this: this is money that came from two sources. It's the Irish taxpayer, 
and it's it's the, the government, sorry, the European bailout money. Mm. So, so who decides in governance to exclude someone from a subsidy that's derived from that money? Who yeah. decides this? Yeah, that's the frustrating bit. Yeah, and it wasn't you know? debated in the doll. It doesn't seem like any politician actually decided this. And and uh, even par- like, what is the motivation? Why why would you want to do this? Mm. The very people who establish their own business break their back trying to keep it going through recessions and all sorts. And then just when things, just when we get the doors open, just when we're beginning to breathe, we're back to this again. That we're not in it together. That self-employed people, once again, for some reason that no one can explain, are singled out. I mean, if it was the other way around, if it was a certain person in the workforce could not avail of a director's could. What would happen then? Yeah. I mean, it's, it's just not fair. You either have a subsidy for people who work in a business and draw a salary, or you don't. It's as simple as that. And that's, that, that's why I'm so frustrated. I want to know why, who, who decided on this and what was the motivation. It can be fixed, yeah, and it probably will be fixed and all that. But what was the appetite for it? Mm. That's that's the real frustrating thing, you know. Yeah, absolutely. Again, how many people are you employing at the moment? Right now, we have 40, 14 or fifteen. Um, we let twenty-three people go um, four months ago. You know, that's tough. Yeah, it's very tough. It was a tough day writing all those bills. I can tell you. Yeah. yeah. And for you at the moment, are you the only the only director working in the business? My wife is a director too, but she doesn't work in the business. Um, which I mean, uh, the salary that I draw from my business pays the mortgage at home and pays everything else, you know? Yeah. Um, and, you know, standing next to someone who we both work, we, you know, we both work in the coffee shop. Or sorry, I mean, I'm working next to, next to an employee yeah. who, because he or she is not a director, can get a subsidy. And I, because I am, just because I am a director, I can't get a subsidy. So you're the one that takes all the risk, but the government isn't going to give you 200 yeah, euros like a week that, to keep I, all those I, other people employed. I, I'm not in the, I'm not, it's not my motivation to come out here mourning and the poor self-employed people, but, but, yeah. but we have to ask why. Because it continues to surface, you know, that there is a certain segment, just because you're self-employed, this doesn't apply. Mm. And that, that's not good enough. That's anti-business. And it, it goes against the whole mantra and the ethos of this shaky new government. And boy, is it shaky the last month. It sure is. I That's haven't ridiculous. experienced this kind of thing since the heady days of the financial crash, to be honest. They're yeah. like going from one disaster to another. But the difference in the financial crash there is that the banks didn't have money and the government yeah. didn't have money. Yeah. yeah. There's, there's ample supply of cash and there's, there's ample supply of more cash very cheaply that can mm. be available from, this, from, from our government. Yeah. And then when they secure the money, they decipher and they put in rules who can get it and who can't. Baffling. Baffling. Yeah. Aidan Duke from Duke's Coffee Company. Thank you. And hopefully, as, as per that text I got from Michael McGrath this morning, um, hopefully the situation will be resolved before it causes any closures. I don't know when that's due to come into effect. That... Um, that change to the the twist the wage subsidy scheme but if it comes in soon I would imagine a lot of business owners will turn around and say okay I'll sign on so and all of my 15 or 20 staff can sign on because 
it is very unfair if you're looking at a staff member beside you who, who you know, I'm look, I'm an employee. I, I don't take any of the risk. I get my wage at the end of every month and I'm quite happy like that. And as any any employee knows, that's that's the deal. You don't take on the uncertainty. You don't take on the risk and you get your wage. And it might not be as much as a company owner will make in a profitable year. But then in a bad year, you know your wages are still going to be somewhat stable whereas the owners mightn't be. Um, and it's not like they're talking about going off buying yachts. It's just a question of keeping the wolf from the door. A uh, lot of texts about the pubs, which I will get to in a moment. Loads and loads and loads. Pat says in relation to um, the, self, the plight of the self-employed, he says, I believe a senior civil servant and a minister should spend a month with a small business owner to see how hard it is. They wouldn't last two days. Yeah, Pat, look, it is a thing. As I said, I'm an employee. I've never run a business. Um, and uh, but, but I grew up in a family business. And I think that does inform your worldview a lot. I think if you're somebody whose family have all always been employees, particularly maybe in state jobs, you don't understand the risks that people take and the way then that this constantly seems to be a thing that they just aren't entitled to anything um, if things go wrong. Um, in relation to weather, Johnny says, you may be giving out about the weather in Cork, but it's supposed to be 36 degrees here today in North London. Far too hot for a Corkman. Yeah, Johnny. <laughs> I wouldn't fancy going on the tube now in 36 degrees. That sounds horrible. I'll, I'll take the rain over that. Loads and loads and loads of texts about pubs and about masks and about that kind of stuff. So um, I'll read them in just a minute. And I'm going to be talking to Connor about an anti-anxiety app that's been brought out. There's a lot of people that could do with that at the moment. This is Cork's Gold Imro Award-winning talk show. The Opinion Line with PJ Coogan. Call us now. 1850 715 On Cork's 96FM. Loads and loads and loads of texts in about the pubs. Um, anonymous WhatsApp says, I can't come in here, but I've seen it myself in restaurants where no food is served. At least four of us in each establishment for over three hours. Yeah, I heard from a friend recently who kind of was nearly passing a pub and looked in the door and said oh do I have to buy food and they said ah no come on in and that was it um, and look they're not all at it by any means we know that um, but there are a few and I think it's 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 not showing a lot of solidarity to the ones who still can't open Mike says if the pubs look like they can't open anytime soon maybe it's time to start thinking of other uses for their premises in the meantime if, for example cafe thrift shop if insurance and electricity still has to be paid they might as well use the space yeah I suppose Mike then you've more overheads think, do you know like I know a couple of people who've opened coffee shops in the last couple of years and those commercial coffee machines cost thousands upon thousands. Um, I, I know one person for whom the rental of the commercial coffee machine costs more than the rent on the premises. Um, so there, it, it sounds it sounds simple, but I don't know in practice if it, it's doable. Uh, somebody else says, Peter and Barry's and the staff are fantastic and do a fantastic job with customers, especially in these hard, uncertain times. Credit to them all. That's from Connor. Somebody else says, the pubs and restaurants shown on primetime last night weren't adhering to any government guidelines. What did the public can say about that? I gathered it was four out of 19 that they went to. Um, so yeah, it's a substantial minority. Um, I didn't get I didn't get this text in time to ask the publicans about that, I'm afraid. And I didn't actually see the programme myself, so um, I can't um, comment too much on it. Mag says you'd have to feel for Dennis, that's Dennis from Janine's and McCroom, and everyone in his position. If all safety measures are in place then it does seem grossly unfair that they are being left to rot. A controlled environment in a pub is a lot safer than the mad house parties that are going on now. That's true, Mags, definitely. Um, 
Kev says that man sounds broken. The vast majority of rural pubs are part-time as it is. We've one in the village. If that goes, then that's the one and only social outlet gone. It's 10 kilometres to the next village. Uh, Kate says give the smaller pubs especially a chance to open and if they mess it up, shut them down again. I suppose the problem is, Kate, if they mess it up, that means you have more a surge in cases. That's the only definition there is of messing it up. And then is it actually you know, is it shutting the stable door after the horse is bolted? Somebody said to me though the other day that, you know, listening to the advice from the public health experts obviously is really important, but of course they're always going to give advice that involves the absolute minimum amount of risk. So it's the same way that they, you know, they tell everybody not to smoke, they tell everybody not to put on weight, they tell everybody not to drink, uh, drink too much. And that's because the risk is, you know, there is a scientifically calculated risk, but the risk is different for every person because of your own circumstances and they don't take that into account. I think we're probably looking at something similar here. Um, Frank says, how handy is it to release these numbers pre the long weekend? I think they're setting us up to not open pubs before schools go back. Yeah, and Frank, you know what? Um, There maybe is a case for letting the, the schools open first, seeing how that goes, seeing if it's manageable, and then opening the pubs. And that's probably not what publicans certainly want to hear. But, I mean, I think most people would agree that schools are more important than pubs. But if, for example, the pubs opened, you had a surge in cases, and that meant the schools couldn't reopen, that that would obviously be much worse. So it's kind of, there's no right answers to this. Um, I suppose that's the biggest challenge I personally have with it anyway. There's nobody completely right about this. Um the um, anti-anxiety app Connor Organ is a student I think who has developed a mental health app because almost 60% of people aged 18 to 25 in Ireland experience anxiety levels that are considered above normal Good morning Connor. Good morning Connor. you're one of these sufferers of anxiety and you decided to do something to, to kind of address it you set up this mental health startup Co- Cove is that how you pronounce it? Yep Oh, exactly. Cool. Equal in Irish. Okay, very good. And it it tackles heightened anxiety from two angles using a combination of reflective journaling. That's very popular at the moment, I know that, and live data. So people write on their phone how they're feeling and why, and then that data is collated? It also picks up data from uh, your phone. So your phone's already collecting data such as your steps and how long you're sleeping. So it grabs data from uh, that and uses that, um, puts it into... Uh, some computer code and bring, gives you a score then for uh, how your day is going. Gosh, that's fascinating. So it's, um, I mean, we, we all talk about Big Brother watching us and all that kind of stuff, but I suppose our phones are already doing all of this and it's just a question of harnessing it. Yeah, exactly. Okay. So what, what kind of caused you to, to make the move on this? Why did you start developing it? Uh, so I've always had a love for uh, technology. And then uh, when I was diagnosed with anxiety, I found... Uh, was trying to find something that would help using both the technology um, to help. And uh, I saw a gap in the market and decided to go for it. Brilliant. And it, with regard to your own anxiety, I suppose there is a bit of a common trope that young people, you know, these days are snowflakes and all this kind of stuff. But there is an undeniable surge in anxiety levels among that particular age group. Um, in your research, kind of very, are you interested in finding out why that is? Uh, so there's a big push to saying that social media would be a, a thing for that. But uh, my thinking is technology can actually be the, the solution for that as well. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Okay. And in terms of the, the operation of the app, is it already up and running? Are people using it? 
So there's an open beta now on the iOS store and hopefully having an Android app by the end of the year. Uh, you can find it by searching in the App Store. Okay, very good. So it's uh, hopefully it'll, it'll help a lot of people. And what's next for you, Connor? Are you still in college or are you finished? Uh, I finished college in 2018 and I'm currently on the Ignite program in UCC. Oh, brilliant. It's a business incubator. Yeah, great. Well, we've, we've dealt with a lot of people who've come out of that and they tend to go on to very good things. So best of luck with that. And people can look at, oh, you're a UL graduate, the same as myself, Connor. I'm delighted to hear it. Um, so I'm just seeing here in, in the article about you. So you're, um, you're working away on that at the moment and um, people will be able to download it from Android later in the year, but it's currently available on the iOS store. Yep, exactly. Okay. So, Cove, C-O-M-H. Brilliant, Connor. Thank you very much for that. Um, we'll, not the last we'll hear of Connor Organ, I would imagine. Um, it sounds like a really good idea and something that is probably very badly needed. Whatever about the 18 to 25s, I think we're all a bit anxious at the moment. Um, we all tend to, um, I think we're all a little bit, a little bit uh, finding things difficult given the, given the, you know, global pandemic that we're living through. <laughs> kind of easy to forget that some days, isn't it? That things are, are, are so changed. Anyhow, we'll be back with a um, totally different thing after 10 o'clock. Independence was supposed to be on this weekend. And we're also going to be talking about allergies. Lots of people suffering very badly with hay fever at the moment. I think today is a bit better than most days but because of the rain. But if it clears up again, um, we'll definitely be seeing. I know myself, I've had a bit of a sniffle and you feel like you have the plague if you have any bit of hay fever at the moment. Stay tuned for those. You're listening to highlights from the Opinion Line on Cork's 96FM. To hear the full show, download the podcast from iTunes or see 96fm.ie. The Opinion Line with PJ Coogan on Cork's 96FM. Independence, of course, should have been taking place this weekend. And here is a bit of a snapshot of the excitement around Mitchellstown at what was happening last year, this, this weekend last year. Oh, I call over, I call over, I have to call over to see the crack. So we'll, we'll mingle with them all. We might be a bit old for it, but so look, we'll, we'll mingle with them all. I won't, they won't be asking me for my ID, Fiona. It brings great people into town. We had them in this morning now from Donegal and Dublin and Kerry. We had them in from everywhere. And Cork, of course. Busking brings a lot of people into town as well. So, you know, there is an awful lot of people just walking around and everything. So it's great. It's great for the town, yeah? Our friend, actually, who we go to school with is in a band and they're playing. So it's good to kind of see, like, the local bands be intermixed with the big artists. It's a massive deal for all the businesses here in the town. And, and also for the community, it's a great uplift for Sierra Mitchell Sound. It's a fantastic event. Um, there's so much going on down there. They have so many different bands for to suit all ages and so on. And the facilities below are great. And I suppose what's amazing as well here at Mitchell Sound, it's a deer farm and it's built from scratch every year, uh, which is a credit to the Shane and all the, the crew of the lads that are involved. They do a fantastic job transforming the, the farm into a festival site. So there's the excitement in Mitchellstown this time last year as Independence was going ahead. Shane Dunn is the organiser of Independence. Shane, it must be a very, a very tough week for you. Um, looking at all the plans you had and what's essentially, I suppose, an empty field at this stage this year. Yeah, do you know what? I'm, I'm looking out at the rain. To be honest. <laughs> I'm yeah. actually, uh, I'm, there's a little bit of a uh, maybe we dodged a bullet. It's been it's been pretty wet uh, here this morning. But yeah, look, it's obviously it's very disappointing. It's our first. Um, August weekend off in 15 years. Um, the first indie was in 2006. We did three in the square before kind of moving on to a 
into a field and, and ticketing and everything. But yeah, it's, it's, a, it's a hard one. It's been a difficult week, I think, more so for like a lot of the crew and the volunteers and like there's a big team behind it. And, you know, if it was just cancelled for other reasons, you know, at least you could maybe go to the pub and have a few points and drown your sorrows and, you know, be yeah. with everybody. But we can't even really do that, you know, which is a, um, which I think is difficult. But look, at least we have the Coronas coming in an ice cream van in a, in a, in a, in a half an hour's time to, <laughs> to park, park, park people up for, for, for a few minutes anyway. Where's that taking place? And their their new album came out today, and they're kind of touring the country in a Murphy's ice cream van again. I suppose you know new new material, and they can't gig, you know, can't kind of promote it. So they've come up with a, a clever way of of getting around the place. So I think they were in Cork City in Golden Disc last night. Um, they're here now. Then they're going to Limerick, Galway, Waterford, a couple of days all over Dublin. So, so they're you know, the square in Mitchellstown giving out ice cream. They're not there yet, but they're. My understanding is they've 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 left John and the Metropole there, um, down around the corner from you, and yeah. they're uh, they're en route. So yeah, I should be here shortly. Brilliant. Okay, well, God, that's an unusual sight for Mitchellstown to be fair. So hopefully you'll get <laughs> yeah. a few people out to that. It's yeah, God, fair play to them because that's very imaginative. I mean, I know for a band like like the Coronas, their live performances are where they make their bread and butter, and people love seeing them live. It's um, it's such a tough time for everybody in the industry, isn't it? Yeah, look, it's 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 tough for everybody, you know, in every industry, in every business. You mm. know, nobody is uh, nobody in the live entertainment sector and the arts is kind of looking for special treatment and, and nobody is saying that, you know, um, we want to to change public health advice and go back to doing shows. But like what we are kind of seeing now is, you know, supports for lots of sectors, lots of businesses, you know, be it at reduced capacity, but businesses opening and coming back. And, you know, live entertainment is has no roadmap, you know, no route to return and no support. You know, um, we did a, a TV show called Songs from an Empty Room, which was on RTE last Saturday to kind of raise some money for some mental health charities, but I think to keep a lot of us occupied for, for two or three weeks as well. Yeah. But we were in the Olympia in Dublin on the day of the stimulus package, and I've never seen such despair fall over a room. Because, you know, you had all of these SMEs, these small businesses, sole traders working in there for free to, mm. to do this charity event and looking at the stimulus package and there was nothing like um and then when they went into the finer detail it got worse where you know proprietary directors were removed from the wage subsidy scheme so yeah. you know if you're a small business owner um you're going to be the proprietary director you're going to own more than 15 percent, but you're probably on a modest salary and you're doing your best at the moment to hang on to keep staff employed i saw a great thread from Richard in Idaho Cafe. Yeah, um, he was on there last, just a little while night. ago. Yeah, oh, sorry, I'm, I'm, I'm busy here prepping for a nice You're okay, so I didn't hear him. But um, you know, and I think you know, me and him were were saying essentially the exact same thing on on Twitter about two different businesses. Um, this will wipe out loads of small businesses, which make up about half of our economy. Like it's um, when you really look into it, I I can't believe that the government did this on purpose. I actually think yeah. this is a is a badly written piece of legislation. I think they had they had a big U turn on the pop payment um, international travel, and they mm. probably couldn't couldn't afford a second U turn in the same day. So they forced it through. I would be very surprised if it doesn't get changed. But it's um, that's that's one issue of you know kind of a multitude of issues within you know, live entertainment at the moment in that, you know, all of our crew, all of our, you know, highly skilled people, people with master's degrees, sound engineers, mechanical engineers, you know, safety people, um, you know, they're being told if you want to keep your payment, go and find another job, yeah. you know, go and get a job elsewhere. And like the big worry as part of the working group epic that, that I'm a part of from the start, you know, when we went in front of the, the Rock, the special committee was, 
you're going to wipe out this sector because, you know, when it is time to, to turn the lights back on, be it next summer or whenever, mm. there won't be any staff there to do it. You know, and we'll be back to the days of the 90s when every event that we did here, the crew came in from the UK, you know, it was English staff coming in, English companies, you know, who contribute nothing to, to society here, nothing to the economy here. You know, live entertainment is worth about three and a half billion to the Irish economy, employs 35,000 people. And this is just music. I'm not even talking about sports and TV and the rest of it. Um, I think in 2017 was the last data we have, but it was 3.3 million bed nights into the hotel sector, yeah. directly responsible from, from gigs and theatre and, you know, live entertainment. So if, if this industry collapses and it's in real danger of that happening now because this government have has been complete in action. Um, you know, Catherine Martin is the new minister for well let me try and get this right. Arts, culture, tourism, communications, normal people, the skeletons in the closet. And, and, in the and, 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 yeah, and the dust under the bed, right? Yeah. You know, this hodgepodge of a of a portfolio. Yeah. But she came into government and spent the first month trying to become leader of the Green Party and yeah. took her, you know, took her eye completely off the ball. So you know, we're in real danger. Um, and again, it's not just me saying it. You've only got to look online and you've mm. got, you know, Gavin James and Brezzy and Mac Morrow and everybody's kind of saying, yeah. who's going to who's going to put on a gig again? Because mm. all of these businesses, I think the point I made yesterday, obviously India is, is my thing, but, you know, I work for other promoters. I work for MCD. I've worked for Aiken in the past. He's done shows in the Marquee. But I did the shows in, in Musgrave Park. So I can't call it Irish Independent Park. It's a quite Musgrave Park. <laughs> You know, I did those shows um, last year and of the 12 or 13 or 10 or 11 or 12 SMEs that supplied us, um, seven of them will be gone by the 1st of September. So that's, you know, bar yeah. operations, safety, medical, power, um, sounding like big companies. You know, companies that have been around for 20 years with, you know, 10, 11, 12, 20 full-time staff and they all picked up the stimulus packaging and went, right, we need to wind up. There's nothing here. You know, we have no money coming in. Now we can't even pay ourselves. Our staff are going to be told, you know, go and get another job. Um, it's, you know, when you look at, at Cork City and you look at that we have a Taoiseach and, you know, two ministers, you know, yeah. and Michael McGrath, Simon Coveney and, and Michal Martin, and you look at how, how much Cork, and I'm talking, you know, the Metropole and the Clayton and, you know, the Imperial and all these hotels and the, you know, restaurants and bars and how much they benefit from live entertainment, be it in, you know, Cypress Avenue or Crane Lane or the Opera House, you know, on a regular basis or the Everyman. Yeah. And what it generates for the economy in Cork City. And you've these three, you know, ministers in this government that are completely abandoning us. And, you know, we will be in, we'll find ourselves in a situation where there will be no marquee, there will be no shows in Parky Creeve, there will be no shows in Irish Independent Park because there literally won't be staff and suppliers and companies here to supply them. Um, because the, what they've done in this stimulus package and with these changes to proprietary directorships, which will impact all other small business. As, yeah. as Richard said, you know, um, he saw last night and he said he was just on it. It's going to wipe them out. Yeah. Like it's, it's, it's absolute lunacy, which is kind of why I, I, I think that this is, is more incompetence than on purpose. You know, I think this is a, I think maybe they were trying to, to do something around company directors who don't take a salary from a company, you know, um, that and, and around that, and they've just worded us really badly and then couldn't backtrack. But like as we find ourselves now, small business owners, be it a cafe or a shop or, you know, people in our industry, they their staff can, be, can get a subsidy. They can't. Yeah. So you're going to, to cut off the head 
and kill the body and these all of these staff then are then going to end up you know on the live register it's it's crazy um, look hopefully it can be rectified I saw Simon Coveney and Michael McGrath yeah. both replied no, we to, did get uh, on to, to Michael, Michael McGrath this morning actually he came back to us we, we asked them both to speak on the show but they actually mm. are both at the North South Ministerial Council this morning so they couldn't but Minister Michael McGrath did come back to me this morning by text and he said the issue of proprietary directors not being included in the new wage subsidy scheme has been raised by many business owners around the country in the last couple of days I spoke with Minister Dunhu on the issue last night as the bill was sponsored by his department contact has been made with the revenue commissioners and a number of options to resolve this are being examined I hope hope we'll have an outcome to this shortly. The aim of the government is to solve this issue as we fully recognise how valuable this wage subsidy scheme is to so many businesses. So it seems to me from that that certainly um, he's not averse to a U-turn on it. Yeah, I suppose it's just disappointing that we won't get it anytime soon if they're uh, all packing their bags today for six weeks holidays, um, which is mm. which is the disappointing bit. You know, they're, I think the doll rises today if it didn't already rise yesterday and I think they don't reset till the 15th of September um, for a lot of companies you know that could be too late um, and a lot of businesses so that's look it's just disappointing I think you know we use you know every t-shirt for the last I don't know how many years has taken a bowl of shamrock to Washington DC and you know talked sold brand Ireland um, it's we use it for our soft diplomacy yep. you know the Ireland seat on the UN um the council, um, you know, started at a U2 concert. You yeah, know, sure it wasn't Bono brought out and and, yeah. and rotated for them for their pleasure at exactly. the UN. Yeah, yeah, you know, and it's, it's it's we use it for all this soft diplomacy. We sell brand Ireland. You know, it's the crack and the cure. You know, music from Ireland, and as it stands at the moment, it's a sector that has been completely abandoned by this government. It's and like I get, we get nobody's saying. You know, let me put fifteen thousand people into Musgrave Park. You know, or forty-five thousand into Parky Creeve, or five thousand people into the Marquee. What we're saying is that if we don't get some level of support, and currently there's none, and they do revert back to money given to the Arts Not Council. And this, yeah. Um, but the thing with the Arts, the Arts Council is probably one or two percent of the industry. You know what what they fund. So, yeah, and it was a very know, small amount of funding the Arts Council got. Yeah, but it's you know like Catherine Martin keeps reverting to it. Oh, mm. we did this, we gave this, we gave this, but. It's like saying that you you looked after your corner shop, and by looking after the corner shop, you've looked after the entire re, you know retail industry in the country. Yeah. Like that's that's the you know the the, the quantity of, of business that's done. You know, like if you look at it, the Gate um, Cinema, which is now staying closed, or not the Gate Cinema, the, uh, the Abbey Theatre or, or the Gate Theatre, are staying closed till next May or June yeah. um, in Dublin. You know, ten million a year in funding, and they're staying closed now for eleven months. They still got their funding. Yeah. Um, you know, so and it's I think it's got four hundred seats. So, like, you know, this is the, you know, you're looking after very few people, very few actual taxpayers, very few families will, will, will benefit from any of that Arts Council funding. Um, and you've this other sector, the non-funded sector, which, you know, employs 35,000 people, is a net contributor to, to the Exchequer, um, and actually a huge multiplier effect. You know, every mm. every euro spent on a ticket generates another six into the wider tourism sector of, you know, taxi drivers, bus drivers, hotels, restaurants, yeah. bars. Um, and they, they just don't seem to see it. And it, it, it really beggars belief when you look at the packages that have been issued in the UK, in Germany, in New Zealand, in Australia, you know, multi-billion um, euro packages because they've figured out that if they put in one euro, they get back six, you know. Mm. So um, we don't seem to see it here. We don't know why. Um, I suppose we'll keep kicking on the door and hope that uh, hope we get a positive res- response soon because if we don't, I think we are facing into a decade of recovery for this industry. 
That's a that's a very bleak outlook, Shane. And to be fair, when you mentioned that about you know gigs having to come in from the UK and and workers and all that, it you, I think a lot of people who are maybe I think you and I are of similar age. We might just remember the tail end of that and all of the big gigs that exploded. I suppose at the end of the nineties, the likes of Oxygen and things like that, and Slane coming back. Um, that's a world a lot of younger people take for granted. But it wasn't always the case that you got those gigs in Ireland. Um, just going back to the doll, big going on holidays. Um, Ashling texts in. You realise the break is not a holiday and is a break just from sitting in the doll. They're working on other related political meetings and work. Take a look at Michael McGrath's TD just 30 minutes ago and that's that's Michael McGrath's tweet about being at the North-South Ministerial Council. Um, so I guess, you know, the ministers aren't actually on holidays, they're just not sitting in the doll. Do you accept the validity of that or do you think that, that it sh- these things should be being ironed out in the doll? I think everybody, everybody needs it needs a break. I don't wouldn't doubt anybody needs a holiday. The problem is if they're not sitting in the doll, we, there's nothing going to change for the next six weeks. They can't pass new legislation, they can't enact legislation if they're not sitting. Um and we have a situation now where six weeks would be too long for a lot of businesses. So mm-hmm. that's the that's the bigger issue. You know, everybody understands that you know, if you're a TD I would assume your phone is rarely off. Mm-hmm. So like 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 a self employed person, like Richard in Idaho Cafe, like yeah. me, like yeah. all these suppliers, there are no holidays really completely understand that. But if they're not sitting for six weeks, nothing can change for six weeks. And in six weeks time there will be hundreds of small businesses in this country wiped out by this. So that's the uh that's the issue. That's the rather the issue. than the fact that they're you know, that they're I doubt they're heading for green list countries. Um, mm. That would be that would be bad optics. It'd be pretty political suicide, wouldn't it? If any yeah. of them were spotted at an airport, <laughs> if if you're working in any of the airports, you spot any TDs, please let us know. Anyone listening, um, Shane, thank you for that. That's um, you you express that really well. It's a very a very bleak outlook, but hopefully the people who matter in terms of making these decisions are listening and will take that on board. Shane Dunn from Independence, thank you, um, I- and thank you for all the work that you've done over the years in bringing us so many brilliant gigs it's a real shame and I know that for the hinterland of Mitchellstone which is not too far from my own home place it's um, it's a huge 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 thing like independence is, is marks the year turning for people um, a couple of people texting in about the pubs someone says to have a pint you must pay 9 euros for food if you go to cafe for coffee and a scone you're told you must spend 9 euros on alcohol or you can't be served what's the difference <laughs> text from Middleton yeah it's a good point uh, Mick says regarding fancy coffee machines a jar of Maxwell House be grand no need for fancy fappy fappy macchiacino machines <laughs> Mick I'd say your cafe would be great crack but I'm not sure the coffee would be any good uh, a couple of people on the self-employed and we will talk about that again in a few minutes but uh Dee has texted in, we were talking about that mental health app earlier and um, I know lots of people using lots of different apps and lots of different services I suppose to try and just manage their own mental health. Dee says, I'm using a fabulous app for the last few months, let's meditate. I never slept better, I'm very calm and I'd actually be lost without it. If there's anything like that that you've been using that you'd recommend, let us know 083 396 96 96. It's something that's really widespread now so um, that can only be a good thing I think. But interesting to know what different approaches people are taking up in a few minutes allergies are you a hay fever sufferer if you are you're having a rough time as everyone thinks you have the plague if you sneeze in public I'll talk to Rebecca from Lloyd's Pharmacy about that in a few minutes Millions of people have lost weight with personalised plans from Noom like Evan who can't stand salads and still lost 50 pounds salads generally for most people are the easy button right for me, that wasn't an option. I never really was a salad guy. That's just not who I am. But Noom worked for me. 
Get your personalized plan today at Noom.com. Real Noom user compensated to provide their story. In four weeks, the typical Noom user can expect to lose one to two pounds per week. Individual results may vary. Ryan Reynolds here from Mint Mobile. With the price of just about everything going up during inflation, we thought we'd bring our prices down. So to help us, we brought in a reverse auctioneer, which is apparently a thing. Mint Mobile Unlimited Premium Wireless. Ready to get 30, 30, ready to get 30, ready to get 20, 20, 20, ready to get 20, 20, ready to get 15, 15, 15, 15, just 15 bucks a month. So give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. Hey, it's Paige DeSorbo from Giggly Squad. High quality fashion without the price tag. Say hello to Quince. I'm snagging high-end essentials like cozy cashmere sweaters, sleek leather jackets, fine jewelry, and so much more, with Quince being 50 to 80% less than similar brands. And they partner with factories that prioritize safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. I love that. Luxury quality within reach. Go to quince.com slash style to get free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. Quince.com slash style. This is Court's Gold Imro Award-winning talk show, The Opinion Line, with PJ Coogan. Call us now, 1850-715-996. On Court's 96FM. It's that time of year where a lot of us are suffering from hay fever and we are uh, kind of used to managing that, I suppose. Most of us have our own strategies for managing it if it's something that we get regularly. But this year, I think it's a little bit different because obviously sneezing and spluttering and all that in public is a lot less socially acceptable than it used to be. Now, Lloyd's Pharmacy is Cork's 96 FM's healthcare partner and Rebecca Barry from Lloyd's Pharmacy is on the line now. Good morning, Rebecca. Hi, T. How are you? Hi, Rebecca. Rebecca Barry from Lloyd's Pharmacy. Can you tell us, Rebecca, what are the symptoms of hay fever and allergies? So it can vary to anything from itchy, runny eyes, runny nose, sneezing, um, feeling very tired and fatigued from it as well. Um, sometimes really itchy skin on your face as well. And um, really, that's where it differs this year. So nobody this year wants to be... Um, coughing and spluttering and sneezing over people, you know, more so than ever, given the context. So this year, um, people really want to have control of their symptoms of hay fever more than ever. Mm. And we've had lots of people coming in and really anxious about keeping control of their symptoms, wanting to have the best treatments possible, you know. So um, what I would say as well is don't ignore the usual symptoms of COVID, the ones we're all familiar with, the temperature particularly the dry cough and um, shortness of breath. Some people who have asthma and hay fever, they'll get a worsening of their asthma symptoms when they've hay fever and they might be um, putting it down, that, that increase in dry cough, they might put down to just their asthma worsening. So just not to ignore that this year, to mention it to your doctor because if they've any concerns, they'll refer you for a COVID test. Um, and that's been, a, you know, another challenge this year for people to distinguish, well, what's COVID and what's hay fever or what's my asthma and what's COVID? So, mm. um, you know, really to keep it under control this year as much as possible to keep ahead of it. And to your pharmacist can really help because we've got so many treatments over the counter that are suitable for the vast majority of people. Um, from steroid nasal sprays to antihistamine tablets, antihistamine eye drops, 
There's preventer sprays that work like a gel inside your nose to trap that pollen before it ever gets at your nose to mm. um, reduce your exposure to pollen, you know. And um, as it's The masks huge, are probably huge, going to be a bit helpful with that, are they? Absolutely. They'll reduce our exposure as well. Yeah. Um, and at the moment, while they're not obligatory outside, most, you know, a lot of people are choosing not to wear them outside and, mm. and you know that's fine people you know have to make their own decision but they, it will certainly help with their hay fever symptoms if they want to reduce it wrap around sunglasses help as well and then there's lots of other practical things we can do as well besides medicine to reduce our exposure to pollen so things like keeping your car windows and your house windows and doors closed as much as possible even if temperatures do rise hopefully we get a spell of good <laughs> weather again and while that would be great for most of us, the poor hay fever sufferers might be in trouble again. But um, Yeah, because I think in this weather, certainly for me anyway, I find if I'm having a bad bout of it, when I see rain, I'm actually delighted because in this weather, <laughs> the pollen count seems to be a bit lower. Is that scientific absolutely. or is it just my own experience? No, it's absolutely right because when it's dry, the pollen is kicked up into the air much more. Mm. When there's dampness in the air, it keeps it down, you know. And hence the reason behind um, a lot of people would have heard to damp dust their houses more as well because yeah. damp dusting will keep the pollen, if there's pollen in your house, it will keep it down. And other practical things like you shouldn't dry your clothes outside if you suffer from hay fever because lots of pollen will be trapped in your clothes then and when, when you put them on, it will start to be released and you'll start to get that pollen into your eyes and nose again. And um, other things like if you have been outside for a long walk or a run or any spell of time outside, when you're in, you should change your clothes as soon as possible. If you have time, rinse your hair, hair as well. Just so you rinse the pollen that's trapped in your hair out of your hair, you know? Yeah. Um, and even for children, there's lots of things over the counter. Well, that's that what I was going to ask, kind of because hold. small children particularly, like I have a little fella and he's not even two yet, and I know he has it. But there's very little I can do for him at that age, isn't there? So there is, um, there, there's not really medical stuff. So the antihistamines you can't use, unfortunately, until they're over two. For um, kids who suffer really badly, there is one antihistamine that can be prescribed by your doctor from the age of one up, and they're normally happy to prescribe that. Um, but the kids under two, then you can use the saline uh, nasal sprays if they're happy mm. for you to use it, because that'll rinse um, their nose out. But there's also um, little rubs now that can be rubbed all around the inside of the, um, the uh, sorry, the outside of the nose, I should say, and around the eye socket, and that traps some of the pollen as it's getting near your face. Mm. Again, just to reduce your exposure to it, and they can be used from any age, you know. Okay. Um, so and little, a lot yeah. of the medication is suitable, even if you're on other prescription medications. So I'd encourage everybody, every, anybody who wants to control their, their hay fever symptoms as much as possible, pop into your local pharmacy, ask your pharmacist, because there really is lots we can do. And you can use a combination of things as well. So if you're only on an antihistamine at the moment and you're not getting your symptoms under control, there's lots more you can do. So you can still use eye drops. You can still use the steroid nasal sprays. Mm. And some of the things like the steroid nasal sprays, you really need to use them as early as possible. So as soon as you see those pollen counts rising again, and you can check that out on lots of pollen counts online, but you should kick um, the, in with the steroid nasal spray because they take a, um, a week really to kick in properly. Oh, do they? So, yeah, okay. yeah. They're the most effective treatment. But they, the problem is they just take that they about take a time. week. Texter actually, so. or somebody has called in, I think, to ask, what do you think of Beckonese aqueous nasal spray? Yeah, so Beckonese is one of those steroid nasal sprays. Okay. And the problem with all of those is that 
um, some people expect them to work straight away and they're never going to do that. Mm. They just take at least a week really to kick in. So really with those, I'd encourage people who, who need to, a steroid nasal spray to kick in with those as soon as the weather gets good again. Um, when Once there's any hint of pollen counts rising, kick in with that straight away. And if you're waiting for that to kick in for that week, um, absolutely use your antihistamines along with it once they're suitable for you, you know. Mm. Um, so a combination of treatments is very often what we find the best. But without a doubt, the steroid nasal sprays have the most evidence of, benef- of being the most beneficial, you know. Okay. So. Okay. I think uh, I think that's that's a good rundown on it, um, Rebecca. Thank you for that because I know it's something we it comes up sporadically on the show, and obviously this weekend's weather we should be safe enough. Although it does appear to be brightening, yeah. um, but uh, it's always good to check in and to hear what what might have changed. That's Rebecca Barry from Lloyd's Pharmacy. Thank you very much for that. Um, yeah, it's just a mess of a thing at the moment. I was on the train yesterday and um, I got a bit of a bout of sneezing, and I honestly felt like I had leprosy. Um, but I was wearing my mask as were most people certainly on on my I was in Dublin yesterday for work and on Wednesday travelling up everyone in my carriage was wearing the mask I didn't you know there was no problem there was you had the whole um, seat pod we'll say to yourself the whole four seats and uh, but on my way back down yesterday it was a bit busier and there were two people sitting opposite me not wearing any masks for the whole trip and no one said anything to them and I was a bit disappointed at that and I was surprised but um, nevertheless when I had my sneezing I wore my mask and it was all fine. I don't have any other symptoms apart from that, which I know is just hay fever and allergies. If you're one of those allergic people too, let us know. It can be a right pain. 083 I think we have a bit of breaking news coming in. Um, very sad news. A lot of local people are going to be very upset about this. Cara House, also known as Mount Cara on Redemption Road, is due to close. Um, We've heard an awful lot in the last while about respite care centres um, not operating at the moment and about the um, the difficulties that carers are having. Cara House, I think, was for families with elder, elderly people in need of care and specifically, and it is now due to close. Very, very disappointing news for people who rely on that service. If you're one of the people who rely on that service, we'd be interested in hearing from you. 1850 So we'll be coming back to that Mount Cara closure news in a few minutes. I think we'll be hearing from our reporter Fiona Corcoran who was at I believe a press conference in relation to that this morning. So um, if you are somebody affected by that news please do let us know. It's distressing and um, kind of another blow for carers really. It has been a very tough time as we know from the people we've spoken to during the week. Now we know the TDs are about to go on their six weeks break from the doll. As Ashling points out on text, it's not a holiday, it's a break when the doll is not sitting. So most of the TDs I'm sure are still going to be um, available in their constituency offices at least for some of that period and the ministers of course will still be working in their departments. Holly Kearns is a new TD for Cork South West, a Social Democrats TD and she's been raising in the last couple of days the issue of maternity leave for TDs. Uh, we have a very low rate of women in politics in Ireland, it's about 30% and it's been there and thereabouts since the gender quota was brought in. Um, 30% was the target and they've hit 30% and it doesn't seem like it's going to go anywhere higher of that anytime soon. And one of the reasons regularly cited for that is the caring responsibilities of women. Women in every other job pretty much except for politics are entitled to maternity leave. Um TDs are not. Councillors are not. Uh, I'll be talking to Holly Cairns, who's a TD for Cork Southwest, about that in a couple of minutes. I'm interested in your views on it. 083 396 96 96. This is Cork's 
Gold, Imro award-winning talk show. The Opinion Line with PJ Coogan. Text or WhatsApp now. 0833969696. On Quartz 96 FM. Now, there's a lot going on in politics at the moment. There seems to be some new type of crisis or dilemma or scandal breaking every day at this stage. I actually can't keep up um, with the amount of, of stories emanating from this government. So uh, this, I suppose, is one of these issues that is tends to get left to one side as the pace of things um, hurtles along with, with these stories breaking every day. But despite a bill being brought forward in 2017 to introduce maternity leave for um, sitting county councillors, that bill has actually lapsed now. So there is no, absolutely nobody focusing on the issue of bringing in maternity leave for politicians at the moment. Now, I'm going to talk to Holly Cairns about it in just a moment. Holly, before we go into the substantive issue, I noticed you followed up your original social media post and your speech in the doll on this by saying it's difficult to raise this when you're a woman of childbearing age because some people automatically assume that you are pregnant or planning to become pregnant. It's very annoying being this age when every time you say hello to someone, they ask, is it because you're pregnant? Yeah. If I if if I could count the rumours, I'd say I must be pregnant for about two years now. Um, <laughs> so you an elephant you'd be giving birth to <laughs> in such a long gestation period. So it's not because this immediately affects you that you're raising it. No, and I suppose it's worth highlighting that if my kind of main priority was to have a family, I wouldn't have gone for the election. Mm. Um, it would be a logistical impossibility, and that really shouldn't be the case. Yeah. Um, for, for anyone looking at a future career in politics, that shouldn't be a consideration at all. Yeah, and I mean, for a future career in anything, because there's no other job where you, I mean, there's jobs where it wouldn't be wise to get pregnant, maybe at a particular juncture in your career. You know, for I, I know a lot of people, uh, friends of mine work in law, for example, and you don't get pregnant just as you're about to be made a partner. That's not wise. Um, there are other things, considerations in people's careers. But there's no other job where, I suppose, that some self-employed people, but where you are not entitled to any maternity leave. Even self-employed people get maternity leave now. Exactly. And maternity leave, you know, like you say, everyone's entitled to it. It's not a perk. It's not a pay rise. It should be a human right. And I think the problem that emanates from this is that without equal participation of women in politics, uh, female dominated industries are often the kind of underserved and undervalued, underpaid ones. Mm. Um, nurses, carers, people with disability support services. And if there were more women at that decision making table, that probably wouldn't be the case. And, of course, then, if there were maternity leave for TDs, there would be more women at the decision-making table. So this is a good move for society, you know? Yeah. I mean, we've had a lot of, um, I suppose, promising young women come into politics who have left at the point of having children. Now, it's a difficult career to combine with having children anyway. And actually, I know in, in the last 10 years or so, we have seen men leaving politics because they can't combine it with rearing a family, um, which obviously for them individually isn't good. But in terms of the levelling of the playing field, certainly mean something um, when I suppose Jim Daly whose who seat you, you probably took in a manner of speaking um, Jim Daly left politics largely because he had a young family and the difficulty of combining it with, with raising them was actually just they're not compatible really um, but I suppose before you even get to the point of spending time with a child you have to have a child and you can't have one if you don't get any maternity leave Exactly. And I think the problem is, is that it's a confusing situation to make a plan with. 
um, it's an unusual job and that there's a need to vote. Um, it would massively affect your re-election, like you essentially keeping your job if you mm. have to take time off. There's all those things, but we would have found a way if there had been more women in politics because I remember speaking to women on Cork County Council about this who'd been through um, having children in public life. Mm. And basically the council would always say, like, we're so sorry that there is no provision for this. We wish we could do something, but it's, it, you know, it's not possible. There's no legislation for us. Yeah. Um, which I, at the time I was like, okay, that makes sense. But just after I got into Cork County Council, unfortunately I had a loss in the family. Um, my brother passed away abroad and I had to travel. And the council were really amazing about it. They got in touch and said, we're so sorry for your loss and you will be marked absent, but under a mitigating circumstance. Mm. So your wages wouldn't be docked. Mm-hmm. However, that wasn't put in place for women who had to take maternity. So it seems to me, and I'm not trying to be ungrateful for that from the council, of course I am, but it seems that if it's something that a man has encountered in the past, they can they can sort it out. Um, yeah. And they can't in this situation, perhaps because it hasn't been encountered enough. And one of the really interesting things that happened since I um, broached the subject with the Taoiseach and it got quite a lot of media traction is a lot of female public representatives commenting on it saying, no, like it's not possible to take leave. Um, what we need is more support and fair enough, each, you know, each to their own. And perhaps it is a more difficult job to actually take time off from. You need to be in your constituency. You need to be in Dublin, all of these things. But it's gotten to a point where even the women who have been affected by this don't feel they're entitled to it mm. or don't feel that it's possible. So we've huge barriers to overcome. And, and like you say, it affects a lot of women in their jobs. Um, but that's a cultural and societal issue that we don't accept that's part of life and value it as something that's necessary. Mm. Um, and sort of as a society, make sure it doesn't affect women's careers. Mm. I mean, the thing is, if you had it as an entitlement, you'd be entitled also to waive it, and you know, or to to um, to come to work the odd day, or to keep in touch with your office or whatever. But the fact that you don't have it at all means that you just don't have that option. And as you say, there's a financial penalty even on councillors for not attending meetings, which I didn't realise. Um, in terms of, uh, yeah, I saw one councillor up the country replying to you saying, "Well, you know, I did it, so you should be able to do it too." And it's funny that's something that we get a lot when we talk about child on this show and about creches and about um, you know dual income households and people struggling to pay mortgages and pay creche fees and all of that and we get an awful lot particularly of older women who will ring in and say well I stayed at home to mind my children so you should as well I know sometimes you know sexism isn't exclusive to men and like I say that respectfully you know sometimes when you've been so oppressed to a certain extent and felt like you had to just by that other people should have to do that too but of course it's not the case and we need to make you know all careers more accessible to the next generation of women um, and of course we need paternity leave for, for TDs as well you spoke about Jim Daly um, we need kind of a, a, a better perhaps work-life balance in, in every sector Mm. Do you think, um, Holly, I suppose, given the, the week that's in it with so many political messes, one after another all week, um, and obviously you're in opposition TD, so you're not responsible for them, um, but do you think the public have any great patience for an argument about Im- improving the working conditions of TDs at the moment? I completely understand that uh, point of view, but I suppose the, the point that I'm trying to make is this isn't to improve the individual lives of politicians. If we have better female participation in politics, 
it's better for society. So, you know, I wouldn't just be arguing for some kind of perk or pay rise. Like I say, that's not what it is. Mm. If we want better participation, um, for, and that affects, like I said, all of the female-dominated industries, then we have to make politics more accessible to women. Yeah, we can't. You know, even after the election, I remember going on the Tonight Show, and everyone being like, "God." What's the problem? How, why is it we don't have better female participation? I'm the only female TV in Cork City and County. Mm-hmm. And here's one glaringly obvious barrier. And aren't and you the no first more. female TD ever in your constituency? No, sorry, Margaret Murphy O'Mahony was, yeah. was the first, I think, yeah. Second, yeah. Yeah. So, so we've so far to come mm-hmm. and to kind of say, oh, this is politicians looking for a perk for themselves. Um, it's not true. I, you know, that would be a ridiculous thing to do at this time. Yeah, maternity leave, as you say, it's not a perk. Chris texts in to say, and actually a good, a good point, it's ridiculous TDs can't avail of maternity leave. Even the New Zealand Prime Minister had six weeks of maternity leave. Yeah, and she gave birth as Prime Minister. She was pregnant when she became Prime Minister, gave birth as Prime Minister, had a few weeks off and was back at the tiller. And I think the whole world agrees she has been doing an exceptionally good job. So it just shows you it doesn't, um, it doesn't have to have any negative impact on somebody's work. Holly Cairns, TD for Cork South West, thank you very much for that. Um, interested to know what people think about it it is very much um, a discrepancy at this point between politicians and everybody else um, you know even the self-employed now have maternity leave which is you know obviously if you're running a business you might not want to leave your business for six months and that's a different thing but you get maternity benefit and it's I suppose up to you how you manage that I think it would be the same for a TD they would be they, they would be um, very much in the same boat as the self-employed in terms of if you're not in the business regularly you kind of have taken your eye off the ball they'd certainly have to stay in touch with their work and they'd have to be involved in it but um, cheaper even giving women a few weeks off after they've actually physically gone through birth and labour would be some kind of an improvement lots more to come after 11 couple of texts from people about the maternity leave Pat says I'm not knocking maternity leave but Holly's a public rep that was voted into her position if she was to get pregnant and who then fills her role. Any other job, a role can be filled for that time but how does that work in elected roles? Yeah, Pat, like it's definitely a dilemma and even for the person um, the person, you know, who do, who becomes pregnant, that's a really difficult one. Uh, like that's a difficult one for a lot of people in other jobs as well. Um, broadcasting, for example, is a difficult one. Um, Alan says, hi, the subject of maternity leave for politicians. Oh, is Pat a male or female, by the way? I'm interested in, in knowing that. Uh, Alan says, the subject of maternity leave for politicians is a weird one for me. I absolutely agree with it, but I wouldn't vote for that person as I find it would be impossible to carry out the work if she fell pregnant. That's rubbish, Alan, because Jacinda Ardern in uh, New Zealand has managed, I think, fairly well, you would acknowledge. Um, certainly better than the not pregnant Boris Johnson, the not pregnant Donald Trump, the presumably not pregnant Leo Varadkar. None of those men are pregnant and um, they she did a better job than all of them having just had a baby with her silly female body. Um, so Alan, that's rubbish. Um, the maternity leave is six months. The role uh, in the doll is five years. It's, it's. I think there are ways of doing it, and I think the fact that we can't see ways of doing it, it as Holly said, is very um, just shows how kind of trained we are to to the impossibility. Three men have commented on that. I'm really interested to hear what women think. Maybe you agree with the men. Maybe you agree with Holly. I don't know. Um, we can talk about that after eleven o'clock. You're listening to highlights from the opinion line on Cork's 96 FM. To hear the full show, download the podcast from iTunes or see 96FM.ie.
The Opinion Line with PJ Coogan on Corks 96 FM. And our reporter Fiona Corcoran has been at that press conference this morning in relation to the closure of Mount Cara. We'll hear a little bit first from um, some of the people involved in that. Fred Richmond is the son of a Mount Cara resident. He's 98 years of age and he's grew up living his life around here, playing, hauling with the man in the lane. This is kind of his, his, his heartland, so to speak. He's extremely happy and they're very well cared for and very secure. I know we were told all of a sudden it's going to close, we're going to move them out, quarantine them somewhere else. Who knows where, because every nursing home that we know of has huge long waiting lists and then possibly going to share accommodation with strangers. And this at a time when COVID-19 is rampant. We heard again of 85 new cases yesterday in the country and we're being told that under no circumstances should people be mingling they should be cocooned away, they should be keeping safe, and this flies directly in the face of that. So it's, it's, it's very frustrating. So what brought about our initial fight? Apologies, that's me trying to do two things at one time now and it didn't work very well. Um, Fiona is on the line and Fiona can fill us in a little bit more about um, what's been happening there. Hi Fiona. Hi Dee, how are you? Tell me what's happening down there at Mount, Mount Cara House. There was a press conference this morning. That's right. The press conference is taking place here in Neptune Stadium and there are quite a few um, staff members and family of residents at Mount Cara. And there are also, the, the press conference was called by Sinn Féin's Thomas Gould and he's here along with Mick Nugent from the Sinn Féin party and Tony Fitzgerald is also here from Fianna Fáil, local politicians here in the Blackpool area. So what we've heard is that Mount Cara uh, Nursing Home has been in operation in Blackpool for the last 30 years and it currently has 15 residents but at the start of this month the board of management called staff to a meeting and told them that the nursing home was going to have to close and um, at that point they said that it was because of funding issues but the staff got on to Cork City Council who have been funding Mount Cara for the last number of years and Cork City Council confirmed that they were continuing with their funding and they weren't going to be reducing that in any way. And the Board of Management then we heard printed a letter in the Echo um, on the 16th of July stating that they had to close due to COVID-19 reasons and a reduction in the amount of residents. But um, the residents say that they feel that that's not true because people have been turned away because of a shortage of beds. So the residents or the, the, the staff are now calling on the Board of Management to be more clear about why the nursing home is closing and when it's closing. They haven't been told yet when it's going to close but they've been told that it's going to be um, in, the next, in the next while. Um, and we've also heard that um, the, that there, the politicians, local representatives here, Thomas um, Gould, Sinn Féin TD, has written to the Health Minister and to the HSE asking them to intervene. They want the HSE to step in and save Mount Cara. And we've heard from so many family members here this morning who have said that 
relatives and people who have been using the facility have had nothing but good reports about it. They say that the residents feel safe um, and well cared for at the home and that's all down to the staff. Mm. And they have said as well that you know they're now in a situation where they have to look for another nursing home for their elderly resident in the middle of a pandemic. And we heard yesterday that you know, there was 85 new cases. We know that nursing homes throughout this pandemic have been badly hit by COVID-19. And Mount Cara has been COVID-free for the duration of this pandemic. And now they're afraid that they have to move their loved ones from this facility that has been COVID-free into another facility. Um, the elderly residents will have to quarantine for two weeks. Um, excuse me, they'll be going into a place where, you know, they don't know anybody, they don't know the staff. It's obviously going to be very frightening. Plus, Deirdre, there's the fact that there's not an awful lot of nursing homes with availability. A lot of nursing homes in Cork are full capacity and have waiting lists. So residents um, are now in a situation where they have no idea where they're going to be able to move their loved one to and whether or not they'll be safe and happy where they go. So it's um, it's it's been described here as very um, sad uh, situation for families and it's very tragic and one man actually addressing the crowd here said that um, Mount Cara nursing home is not just a house it's a home for people and this is their home um, and I, I spoke before the meeting to a man called Fred Richmond mm -hmm. and his father has been in Mount Cara since the start of February. He just got in three weeks before the pandemic and he, um, I, I sent you the audio I'm not sure if you got it but um, Yeah, I, I was know, trying to play it there, I'll play it again when I'm finished talking to you because okay. uh, something happened in the middle of it <laughs> Alright, okay but yeah, it'll just show um, you know the anger and the upset that's been felt by people and mm. the fear, you know, they have no idea what's going to happen. And I think if Mount Cara this. had been described, Fiona, as a respite home, is is it a short-term stay place or are the people who've been there for years? Um, there's a bit of both. Um, like Fred Richmond that I mentioned there, he was telling me that his father, who's 98 years of age, had been going in and out um, over the last while mm. for short stays and for rests. But now he's a resident there since February. So I think there's a mixture. There's there's okay. residents, long-term residents, and then there's people who go in for shorter um, times. And it was described as a nursing home that caters for people who are um, kind of mild to the middle of the, the scale. So they don't take people who have any sort of um, um, like dementia or Alzheimer's or anything like that. Mm. It's more of people who are just elderly and can't really get around on their own anymore. Yeah. So it's a big loss to the community. But as you're saying, Fiona, the reasons for the closure are very unclear. And um, mm. it, it looks like the funding isn't a problem. So is there a case for it being just handed over to a new management body? I'm not sure. Um, I asked um, one of the staff who addressed the gathering here, Magella Lynch, if they had been told anything about, like there's, there's over 20 staff employed there, and if they had been told anything about the future, mm. and she said no, that they haven't been given any indication as to an exact date for when it's closing or what will happen with their jobs. And um, one of the people who addressed the gathering here said that there was rumours that the facility was going to be used for various different reasons and one of them was a methadone clinic was mentioned and something else so I don't know if it's going to be kept on as a nursing home or if it's um, going to be closed completely and you, that the, the facility then will be used for another purpose. It's all very unclear and it's all kind of happened very quickly. Um, we heard that a recent HICWA report for this year said that you know everybody 
there, the staff were all very happy there and the residents were all very happy there um, and it was working very well and there was no indication at that stage from anybody that there was any issue with the facility and then at the start of this month this shock meeting was called between board of management and staff and they were told that they were going to close. Okay. So I don't know is there, uh, there's obviously more to it but I don't know what's actually happening um, and Thomas Gould has asked for the health minister to intervene um, and to try and get some answers and, and the staff here have also called on the board of management to give a clear and concise reason as to why mm. And who makes up that board of now. management Fiona? I understand it was originally set up by the bishop um, when, when it was opened originally, Bishop Michael Murphy in the set 1970s along with the Mercy Sisters and the Daughters of Charity of St. Vincent de Paul. Mm. Is it still, is the Board of Management still made up by um, by religious? Um, I think there's part religious, part volunteers and the, um, the out, or last year's Lord Mayor, Councillor John Sheehan was uh, um, manager um, of the Board of, of Management or the Director of the Board of Management um, but he has, um, and he he was there, as far as I can gather from the meeting here. He addressed the staff um, at the start of July, and he has now stepped down from that role. And I'm not sure why he has stepped down from that role. It wasn't made clear, and I don't know. Was that just because he um, had to step down because of his Lord Mayor situation? But mm. um, he's not here today. He wasn't able to make it. So. Um, he, um, like one of the staff members, Magella Lynch, had said that he had told them that um, it was a funding issue and then he addressed them again yesterday um, to kind of clarify the situation and he told them that um, they were mistaken, that if, if that's what they had taken away from the meeting, that that was... Um, miscommunicated that it wasn't a funding issue but all the staff there okay. I think we'll, we'll, we'll have issue. to try and get to speak so, to J Councillor yeah, John Sheehan about that he's directly. He's not here to defend himself yeah. he's not here to put his side of the story forward um, so that um, whole issue um, had been raised here but again you know, there, there didn't seem to be an outcome to it or a conclusion or any kind of a reason so it's, it's a very strange one like we've come away from the meeting here today both resident staff and the press who were here with uh, no answers as to why Mount Cara is closing, what has happened in the last month to make that decision because we heard in June um, that you know that there was no mention of, of the, the facility closing anytime soon so something mm. has happened in, in, in the space of a month um, yeah. and it's left you know, all of these residents, all of the family members and all of the staff in a very frightening and uh, sad situation. Absolutely. Thanks, Fiona Corkiner, our Chief News Correspondent. That's a very, very distressing story for the residents there and for the people who rely on that service. I'm just going to go back to that interview with Fred Richmond, whose father is a Mount Cara resident. Hopefully there'll be no problems with it this time. He's 98 years of age and he's grew up living his life around here, playing, hauling with the man in the lane. This is kind of his, his, his heartland, so to speak. He's extremely happy and they're very well cared for and very secure. And now we told, were told all of a sudden it's going to close, we're going to move them out, quarantine them somewhere else, who knows where, because every nursing home that we know of has huge long waiting lists and then possibly going to share accommodation with strangers. And this at a time when COVID-19 is rampant We've heard again of 85 new cases yesterday in the country and we're being told that under no circumstances should people be mingling, they should be cocooned away, they should be keeping safe and this flies directly in the face of that. So it's, it's, it's very frightening. We've had a 
letter from the from the board giving a number of reasons, but we get contradictory reasons from from different people. So to be perfectly frank with you, I don't actually know the the true ins and outs of it. No, we were just told in a number of months. So it was. It's up to us to go and do our get get everything set up in the fair deal scenario and go traipsing around from place to place. Again, as I say, in the middle of a pandemic, which is, which is killing people, and that that to me is unconscionable. It flies directly in the face of logic and the best medical advice. Absolutely, and they've been looked after tremendously up here. There are people up to the age of 100 in that nursing home who have been kept safe, secure, and infection-free for the last three months. Now we're told that all this, we may as well not have not been visiting our parents. I haven't seen my father since the lockdown. We've been keeping away. And, excuse me, I'm, <clears throat> I'm getting kind of angry here. That, no, we're told, you, you may as well come back. It doesn't matter. They can, we, we can move them off into a multiple occupancy room with strangers. And the effect that has on the mental well-being of an elderly person is huge. Being moved from a comfortable, safe, secure position with a familial atmosphere into an atmosphere where there are strangers, they have no idea where they are, they don't know the people around them. That leads to huge net negative outcomes for their mental and physical well-being. Angry. Very angry. This came out of nowhere. We didn't get any long... I think the 3rd of July was the first indication we got. And then a letter less than a week later saying, it's a fait accompli, it's done. We have to go and get everything ready now to move them. At the most dangerous time for that cohort since the Spanish flu. Oh, he does. He does. He's, he's a stoic individual. He's like, like a lot of men of that time. His, his whole world revolved around his family and sport and that sort of thing. And he's not a, a man to be complaining and jumping up and down, banging tables and stuff. But obviously there's an element of worry for him as well, you know, because it's, it's uncertain. Uh, at the moment, no, I have no idea. My, my sisters do the, are the designated visitors, so I, I may not see him for the foreseeable future. I honestly don't know. Very, but it's, we have to try and deal with it. And I'd like to call on all local rep representatives from every party and at every level to come and fall behind us here now to keep this fantastic facility open. And you also have the staff. The staff have been doing tremendous work. They're going to be out of work now, getting a 350 euro COVID payment for, being, for not working, when they're doing a tremendous job providing a fantastic service in, the, in, the great, in a great setting. Very sad to hear what's happening there with Mount Cara and we have contacted the former Lord Mayor Dr John Sheehan who was on the board of management there. It's unclear how and why and who decided that Mount Cara is to close. Um, there seems to be a lot of confusion around what's happening and maybe um, Dr Sheehan can clear that up for us when hopefully we'll be able to get to reach him soon. It's um, very, very worrying for all those families and if you're affected by that um, and you want to give us a shout 1850 is the number to reach us here on. Something completely different coming up after the break. I'll be talking to the author of a book about Ghislaine Maxwell. This is Court's Gold Imro Award-winning talk show. The Opinion Line with PJ Coogan. Text or WhatsApp now. 0833 96 96 96. On Court's 96 FM.
We've all been following over the past couple of months, and indeed I think it's more than a year now, this saga about Jeffrey Epstein, about Ghislaine Maxwell, and of course about Prince Andrew and his dealings with them. And it's like, I mean, you couldn't make it up. You couldn't write, you couldn't, if somebody wrote this as a film script, they would be told it was improbable. How would you have these billionaires linked to the US president, this this billionaire who's also linked to the British royal family, all in the same circles with all the sordid details that have been going on. Of course when Prince Andrew did that famous interview he managed to absolutely inject a whole load of energy into the story um, certainly from this side of the pond. I think it, without him doing that possibly it might have sort of gone away. Nigel Cawthorn is author of Prince Andrew, Epstein, Maxwell and the Palace. It's the first book that covers all of their associations and all of this, um, all of this scandal I suppose in any great detail. Good morning Nigel. Good morning to you. Nigel, you you hit on a story that an awful lot of people are very intrigued by. I've been watching the Epstein documentary. Um, It's it's a bit of a slow watch because it's so unsavoury in many ways. Um, And I suspect they're already making the sequel in relation to Ghislaine Maxwell. But Prince Andrew is the focus of your book. And it's fair to say um, he's quite a storied past, hasn't he? Well, yes, indeed. Uh, He's had a, a very kind of... Varied career. I mean, one time he was seen as the sort of glamour boy of the royal family, and uh, he he saw action in uh, the Falklands War and was uh, sort of billed as a, as a war hero. But uh, since then, things have gone downhill rather rapidly. And I mean, the most recent evidence of that, I suppose, is his daughter Beatrice's wedding, where he he doesn't appear in any of the official photographs. Yes. <laughs> Indeed, usually when the royal family is in trouble, they have they stage a quick a quick wedding, and, they, and it's all it's all all the troubles goes away. In, in this case, uh, I don't think it, uh, his problems can be made to, to, to vanish so easily. Tell me about how you um, got to came to write this book in the first place. What's what's your relationship with or your interest in Prince Andrew? Well, I, I, I've written a, a, a number of, of books on on the royal family, um, and we knew something was wrong here um, with him before, really before the, the whole Epstein thing came out um, there was a lot of uh, uh, mystery about what happened when he was out on the British trade uh, um, envoy around mm. the world, he seemed to get involved in, in, in a number of uh, dodgy deals with some very unsavoury characters from Central Asia Um Money of massive amounts of money was were uh, paid on uh, to him as expenses from the British taxpayer. Uh, he because he he would never fly in on a normal commercial uh, aeroplane. It would always have to be a private jet. He would never go by car or train when a, when a helicopter would do. Um, it, it, you know he he had a a man. Uh, Part of his entourage carrying around a, an extra large uh, ironing board, so his trousers would always be nicely <laughs> creased. Isn't it just uh, as well he was born into the royal family? He'd been rightly screwed otherwise. <laughs> <laughs> absolutely, absolutely. Uh, I mean, one, one kind of feels this from a bit no way because if you're born in a palace and from the, the, the first moment you can walk and talk, people are bowing and scraping to you, mm. you must get a very odd uh, view of the world.
Yeah, absolutely. I mean, look, from the Irish perspective, the whole royal family is nonsense anyway, but um, that's, yes, I, I, yes, I, won't, uh, I won't force any republicanism on you. <laughs> well, no, to lots of us over here, it, 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 it's, uh, in, in England, it, it, it's the same. It, it's, I mean, we're living in some sort of uh, light opera. Yes, exactly. And, and the thing about Andrew, I mean, he like the one thing I will say is he provides immense um, entertainment and, and gossip fodder, which I suppose is in some ways the purpose of a royal family. But he he has immensely poor judgment. He seems to have just gotten involved with all of the wrong people. Oh yes, in, in, indeed uh, he has. And, and uh, when you mentioned poor judgment, uh, as in your introduction, doing that interview on television was mm. just. Uh, disastrous. Um, as you say, it might have all just kind of gone away quietly uh, until he did that. Um, and the, the whole nonsense of I don't sweat um, uh, and not not being able to remember a woman he's, there's a, where there's a picture of him with, with, with his arm round her. Mm. I've never met this woman. I've never seen her. It, it's just, just it beggars belief that, that, that he would think that the that the public would fall for that. And at this point now that Ghislaine Maxwell is finally now in custody, Epstein obviously is off the hook. Whatever went on there, we still don't really know what happened in his final days. Um, Maxwell is now in custody and is facing loads and loads of charges, I gather, in America. But American prosecutors say that Prince Andrew is not cooperating with them. Uh, that's right. I mean, it, there was a, a statement issued, not by Buckingham Palace or by uh, Prince Andrew, so from but a, a new firm of solicitors that that, that he's employed, saying that he, he's attempted to cooperate with them three times. But it doesn't really say what the cooperation is. I mean, mm. it, is it, I'll, I'll speak to you for five minutes on the phone when I get back from the pub. Is that cooperation? Mm. Um, I, think, I think the FBI want... <laughs> rather more serious amount of time from him and, and presumably in, in, with, with a table lamp in his face in a rather smoky back room. <laughs> Do you think, Nigel, that if he was in any other position um, that he, he would have been, you know, brought in for questioning by now? He, he would. It, it seems well, to I mean, me what, from, from what you're saying that, that he, I suppose his links are so undeniable to Epstein. Uh, yeah, yes, I, I mean... Uh, there is there's a problem here too um, about jurisdiction. Mm. Uh, um, unless he's actually charged uh, with a criminal offence uh, in the United States, then they, they can't uh, um, extradite him. Yeah. Um, however, um, the, the allegations made by, by um, Virginia R- uh, Roberts Gouffre uh, uh, indicate that he that he may have, have, have broken the uh, 1956 Sexual Offences Act, which uh, makes it uh, illegal to procure someone for sex anywhere in the world uh, under the age of 25. And when she was, she was, when she said she was brought over to, to London uh, to have sex with him when she was 17. So, the, the very least, Scotland Yard should be um, uh, investigating this. But Ms. Mm. Uh, um, Gouffray w- w- was, was told that they were going to do that. They were going to do, do certain forensic examination of, of uh, Ghislaine, Ghislaine Maxwell's house in Belgravia and then stopped and just said, well, we're, we're, the FBI are on, on the case. Well, I, I don't think that's good enough.
Mm, that's interesting certainly from, from I mean from the British point of view you would wonder how many incidents had taken place maybe on, on this side of the pond that that were worthy of investigation by authorities here. So the other piece of this weird Venn diagram is Donald Trump and he has again links to all of these people throughout the years. They seem to have been quite, uh, quite pally um, in Palm Beach and um, certainly known each other and of course Trump actually wished Ghislaine Maxwell well. Yes, yes, that, that that was that was really very extraordinary. Uh, and when when his his press secretary went on uh, Fox uh, to to explain what the what the president meant, he said that, that um, well, of course, the last person uh, involved in uh, arrested in, in in this case um, died in jail. Well. That, to me, sounds like a veiled threat. Mm. <laughs> you know, keep quiet, Ghislaine, otherwise you're going to go the same way. Yeah, and you would really wonder, wouldn't you? It's, um, it's as I said, if you were to make it up, you'd be told by an editor that it's not believable enough and tone it down a little bit. You can't have all those, those princes and presidents and all these people involved in this stuff. Nigel, the book is available in all good bookshops. Prince Andrew, Epstein, Maxwell and the Palace. Nigel Cawthorn, thank you very much for joining me today. It's a fascinating story. Look, I know there's no direct link to uh, to Cork but it's one of those stories that I think everybody is kind of half keeping half an eye on if you haven't watched the Epstein documentary on Netflix yet I would actually suggest watching it it's um, it's it's kind of an eye-opener about the lifestyles of the rich and famous as much as anything else. But it's um, immensely distressing, I suppose. That's why it's taken me a bit of time to watch it. I, I found it quite quite um, upsetting watching all these young women, who some of them were over the age of consent, many of them weren't. And um, they just had... They, they were just treated so badly by um, by Epstein and by Maxwell and real predator stuff, like nothing... Um, you know, they, they knew exactly what they were doing, certainly according to... to to the women who testify in that documentary. Now, up next, I'm going to be talking to James Berkery. I think James is on a tight schedule, so I might just go straight to him, who has been nominated for a BAFTA. Very exciting stuff altogether. Not not very often somebody from Tipperary gets nominated for, for a BAFTA, James. Hello, Deirdre. No, it's certainly not. Tell me, you're a choreographer. I mean, I know there's, there's, it's a tough time in the industry, but it's great to hear some positive news for people working in entertainment. And you have links to Cork. You studied at CSN here under Alan Foley, who, of course, people know from Cork City Ballet. Um, tell me, what the, what's the nomination for? The nomination is for a film I worked on last year for BBC Four called Tony with an I. Um, yeah, so we're nominated tonight, and we're just so pleased, all of us, to get the nomination and for this film to kind of be seen by a new audience because I thought kind of that was the, the end of it last year when it aired but yeah so delighted Fantastic and can we watch it here in Ireland is there anywhere we can see it? I think so I think it's online it's on um, it's, yeah I think it's online on a site called Amaletto but it's just a gorgeous film about you know, I think it's so relevant now because it's about embracing kind of being different and kind of yeah and in, in the case of the film it's about a girl who is kind of really authentic at school and a dance of hers goes viral, which I think is so relevant now with TikTok and Instagram and Brilliant. all that we're seeing. So yeah, it's oh. online. Yeah, well, it sounds very relevant, actually. We had um, that case a couple of months ago of the uh, girl in America, the, the black American girl who was doing the Irish dancing on TikTok. Megan, was it? Um, yes. Yeah, that yeah, was yeah. a huge story. So, God, it's very, very well-timed. And so you, you studied at CSN and, of course, you were working in and out of the Firkin Crane at the time. Yeah, we're living on Shannon Street, um, yeah, for two years in the Firkin Crane, and it was just brilliant. I, I left home at 16 
to go down and yeah, so supportive the yeah. whole um, the teaching facility there and Alan with Courtesy Ballet and we went and did a workshops in Russia and it was just a real amazing introduction to the wow. professional world of dance at such a young age as well. Yeah. yeah. And was ballet your first love dance wise? It was, I think. Yeah, yeah. Very, I just loved it. I loved the technique initially and the way you could also tell stories as well as kind of it being quite athletic and yeah. I, I loved it, especially as a male dancer. There was lots of other guys doing it at the time there. And yeah, I loved yeah, it. Yeah, I, I don't know where in Tipperary you're from, James, but there's there's no enormous metropolises in Tipperary. You must have been pretty unusual growing up in Tipperary. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, I was always a bit different. I'm from, I'm from Nina, so I started okay. off dancing there. And then I would go up to Dublin at the weekends to do ballet up there before I moved down to Cork. But yeah, it's not the kind of, you know, traditional story of someone growing up in, in Nina. Yeah. No. And was it, did you have any difficulties with that or was it just sort of that's your thing and, and nobody has any problem with it? Yeah, I think, you know, I think when anyone is different being a teenager, it's going to trigger, mm. it's going to trigger reactions from other people. But I think that says more about them and their journey than, than it was personally about me. Because, yeah, I was, I, because I think like when you know that you love what you're doing, the rest will, the rest will follow. You know? Yeah, absolutely. And yeah. There's, there's no BAFTAs for, for playing on the junior hurling team down, down in the local GA field. So you, uh, <laughs> choosing a different path sometimes is, um, can be very rewarding. Um, it must be like, obviously there's, there's a very few high profile honours in that industry that I suppose the rest of us will recognise, if you know what I mean. Like there's probably yeah. lots of, of honours in ballet and in dance that, that you'd be really honoured to get, but we wouldn't understand that that's a big deal. Whereas I'd imagine your family and friends are really excited about the notion of a BAFTA. Absolutely, yeah. You know, the ba- it's really accessible. People understand, you know, what, what the BAFTAs are and kind of what that means. But it's really about, like, I just love doing the, the work and the, the rest is kind of followed on from that. Um, and this was like, this was two years ago that we, we made this film. And kind of, they don't tell you when you're shortlisted for a BAFTA or, or you just kind of get the nomination on wow. the kind of newsletter of the BAFTAs. We were all so surprised that we, you know, we were in consideration even. <laughs> oh, that's fantastic. And what are you up yeah. to at the moment? Are things kind of at a standstill or is there any bit of movement in the, in the industry? Yeah, so I'm based in London and yeah, there's a bit of movement. There's, there's, there's chats happening and there's kind of provisional things been put in place for the rest of the year and certainly next year. So um, yeah, things are definitely starting to move. But I really enjoyed this time to kind of change the way I work and I've been doing stuff online and doing stuff on TikTok and yeah, it's been really fun exploring different um, mediums that I haven't done before. Brilliant. That's absolutely fantastic. Yeah, yeah, I suppose for, I, I actually I uh, was listening to Taylor Swift's new album over the weekend and I gather it was all or over the last couple of days I gather it was all recorded remotely and she wrote it all kind of in isolation. I said, God, it actually must be great for some creative people to get that time and space to kind of come up with new things and, and have to adapt a bit. Um, there's probably a bit of a challenge in that but it might not be might not be a bad thing for, um, for the creative arts. Mag says on Twitter it's only a matter of time for the Brits to lay claim to him as they do with everyone else. Have you been called a British <laughs> choreographer yet anywhere? I have. And I've been like, no, I am Irish, absolutely. <laughs> Good stuff. Yeah, well, you're lucky now we're not trying not to claim British. you as a Cork only and that'll be the next thing. Um, you, can, you can be Yeah, well, I love Cork so much Cork. though. Yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> James, I was back there two weeks ago and I absolutely love Cork. Oh, yeah, brilliant. Great brilliant. Yeah, Great yeah, stuff. Look, best of luck that we'll be watching out for you. Is there a ceremony this year or is it all remote? Um, we, we can't go to one, but they're televising it tonight on BBC One. Oh, it's tonight? 
Yes, tonight, yeah. Oh, jeepers, I didn't realise that at all. <laughs> God, I'll, I'll have to watch that now. I feel like I know you. I feel like I've mistaken it. <laughs> Absolutely, yeah, even association now, yeah. That's it. I, I know him, you know, uh, lovely family. <laughs> know, know him very well. Oh, look, well done and best of luck now tonight. God, you'll have to get the drinks in. Will you be having a bit of a party? Absolutely, of course, sir. Yeah, yeah. best in. Yeah. Good stuff. Party either way anyway. It's a huge achievement. Well done. Absolutely. Thanks very much, dear. Thank you Bye. very much. Take care. Oh, that's fantastic. I didn't realise that was tonight at all. Sorry about that. Um, and uh, well done to everybody at Cork City Ballet and Alan Foley particularly. That is, that's an immense achievement, especially at such a grim time for the industry. It's so wonderful to have positive news. Um, another caller says, well done to him. Tom says, I, in relation to Jeffrey Epstein, you forgot to mention the Clintons, Dee. They are also good friends with these people. That's true, Tom. They are a lot of close links there too. And and um, that's something that um, it's, yeah, it's kind of gone under the radar a little bit, but there was a very close relationship. You kind of wonder how, and this isn't to exonerate anybody, by the way, but you kind of wonder how much of that is just like rich people that all know each other because they're all going off on super yachts all the time um, and how much of it is actual genuine friendship versus association. But um, that's not to excuse anybody because clearly what was being, what was going on there was very, very dodgy and anybody with eyes could have seen it. Um, a lot of things happening over the weekend. Blades Barbers are partnering up with Fenn's Hair Design and Bang Bang's gourmet food truck to give back to hard working frontline staff. This is a really nice one. They're going to be offering a care day where their services will be available free of charge to all frontline workers. So that's taking place on Sunday from 12 to 5 at uh, Blades Barbers and Fence Hair Design are giving out free blow dries. Bang Bang's food truck is supplying food. So fair play. That's a lovely little um, gesture towards frontline workers who have been kind of working very, very hard over the past few months. Uh, very difficult time. I'm just seeing here on Twitter as well, Richard Grogan, the employment lawyer who speaks on the show the odd time, has tweeted this picture which he took at um, the a restaurant in Skibbereen, Annie May's restaurant in Skibbereen. They have a chalkboard outside, um, as many restaurants do, which is obviously designed to have the menu or whatever on it. But it says, if you would like to know how it feels to be in the hospitality business during the current crisis, remember when the Titanic was sinking but the band continued to play? Well, we're the band. That's a very, um, a very effective um, effectively put, isn't it? If you would like to know how it feels to be in the hospitality business during the current crisis, remember when the Titanic was sinking but the band continued to play Well, we're the band. Love to talk to whoever wrote that. I'll be talking in a minute to somebody else in West Cork, Rachel McCarthy. She runs the Humans of West Cork Facebook page. I love these pages. The Humans of New York, I think, was one of the first ones. And there's a Humans of Dublin page. This is the first Cork one, I think. I'll be talking to Rachel in just a moment. Oh, wait, 3 3 96 96 96. This is Cork's Gold Imro Award winning talk show, The Opinion Line with PJ Coogan. Call us now, 1850 715 996. On Cork's 96 FM. Just going back to Mount Cara House closure, we did reach former Lord Mayor John Sheehan, who said, I was chair of the board for three years and I am still on the board but I do not feel it would be appropriate for me to comment as I'm no longer chair. So we are trying to track down the current chair of the board and we will try and bring that to you on Tuesday if possible. Um, I'm assuming somebody from the board or the company will issue a statement at the very least um, to lend some clarity to proceedings and hopefully we will have something on that. Now I introduced before the break Rachel McCarthy who set up the Humans of West Cork. It's an Instagram page rather than Facebook. Apologies. Um, it's all changing all the time on social media. The page was in inspired by her dad Paddy and the first photo on the page is 
of Paddy. She describes him as a farmer, a husband, a father, a brother and my dad. And on May the 1st this year, 2020, he took his own life. Paddy was born in Ballinadee. He was born on the land and heartbreakingly died on it. To Paddy, farming wasn't just his job. It was his way of life. It was where he went to grow, to think, to learn. It was where he was at his happiest. Paddy knew all there was about farming and was the hardest and strongest person I knew. He was the most kind, sweet, caring and loyal person you could meet. Everyone who met Paddy instantly loved him. He spent his whole life working so that my brother's sisters and mom would never have to worry. He lit up every room he went into. He loved his nights out in Kinsale, dancing with my mom. They made every bar and restaurant they went into a more fun and happier place. The world will be a little sadder not to have him in it. That's why I've set up this page. Paddy will never be gone because me, my sister, my brothers, my mom, and everyone who is lucky enough to know Paddy will never forget him. He will always be with us. Everyone should have a Paddy McCarthy and some already do. So that's what I want. I want to give a voice to everyone's Paddy McCarthy, to the people that help us, the people that make us smile, the people that feed us, the people that clothe us, the people we miss, the people we love, the people we meet every day, the people that have the biggest impact on our lives. That is a very moving tribute. And Rachel's line, guys, is gone. Um, can we try and get Rachel back there? Um, Rachel McCarthy set up Humans of West Court. There's some beautiful photographs on the Instagram page of Rachel's dad, Paddy, who's tri- Uh, I've just read there it's very very moving and very um, I suppose very very sad but the page itself is as people who are familiar maybe with Humans of New York is very uplifting um, and there's some fantastic stories God knows there's a lot of characters in West Cork it it tends to draw them and she has a couple of really interesting ones there already Hi Rachel sorry we lost you there no problem. Hi, how are you? How are you? Rachel, I was just reading there your lovely post about your dad, Paddy. I'm really sorry for your loss, first of all. Thank you. Thank you very much. It, it, it's a beautiful tribute to him to be um, setting up this page in his memory. And I suppose he inspired you, but the characters of West Cork, I suppose, must have inspired you too. You have a very rich and fertile hunting ground there. Yes, yeah. And the page is only starting out, of course. The people I've met so far have been incredible. Incredible, and the stories they have as well is just, wow. Yeah, I mean, you have Christopher there, who was a was a Hindu monk at one point. He lived in India. Yeah. He lived all over the place. That's a very West Cork story, if you don't mind me saying yeah. so. So he's he's down in West Cork meditating. Um, <laughs> what what had you been doing before you started this up? I suppose you were on lockdown like everybody else. Yeah, so I was I was in I'm in college uh, studying horticulture. I was obviously in lockdown and. I was with my, fa- my father farming each day and taking photos and kind of passing the time by and uh, couldn't get out much. But then uh, one of uh, my family friends, Emma Galvin, came to my house one day and she, the reason behind the whole page, she sat next to me. She's like, Rachel, your photography has so much potential, but you need a bit more. And she showed me the uh, page Humans of New York. And straight away in that moment, I knew exactly what I wanted to do and what I, what I set out to do. And then I think in COVID, listening to the stories of my dad and my mom really made me feel like, okay, the stories that people have went to cherish, because mm-hmm. my father may not be here anymore, but the stories that he taught me will always be there and will always have that. Yeah, absolutely. It's you know? um, it's a real journalistic instinct you have, Rachel, for finding those <laughs> kind you. of stories about people. And the, your photos are beautiful. There are some really lovely portraits on it. So Thank are you, you um, are you kind of getting out and about in different parts of West Cork or are you yeah. sticking to one place in particular? Well, at the moment, again, the page is just kind of fresh. But um, my sister's partner, Aidan Murray, has been amazing. And he's kind of come with me on a little traveling journey with him. And we've kind of got out to markets mainly. We're starting off with, but we're 
we're going to go everywhere. And people have actually been messaging me on the page. And they're saying, like, can I just go here and talk to these people? And so I'm going to have a list of things and people and places that I want to just get my camera, bring Aiden with me and just head out for the day and just talk to these amazing people. Brilliant. It's a lovely project yeah. to be doing and to keep yourself you. occupied, I suppose, before college gets back. Are you hoping to go back to college in September? Or do you have any plans yet? Um, yes, I'm, I'm probably going to finish off for a year and see where that takes me afterwards, but definitely go back and get my level 8 degree. Yeah. Are the college bringing people back in person or is it all going to be online? I think some of it's going to be online, but we're not too sure yet, but we'll have to wait and see with that, how that's going to kind of go out. Yeah, there's a lot of waiting and seeing at the moment. Rachel McCarthy, thank you very much from Humans of West Cork. Absolutely lovely page. There's only a few pictures up there yet, but uh, I think it's going to be a really nice one to be following. Um, I absolutely love those kind of stories. So well done to Rachel. Um, lots more of your texts. I'll get to those in a minute. But we were talking about the BAFTAs earlier. Now, it's not quite the BAFTAs, but the Best of Cork Awards uh, take place on Friday the 14th of August and it is time to vote for your favourite. Just some of the shortlist for the 2020 awards. Um, best uh, hairdresser, best cafe, best bar and it might be a bit of a consolation prize for some of your favourites who are not able to reopen at the moment um, or who have been hit very hard by the pandemic. Go to 96fm.ie now to vote for your favourites. The Best of Cork Awards back for 2020 with Cork's 96fm. Even when we're on a budget, we still deserve nice things. Quince is a place to scoop up stunning high-end goods for 50 to 80% less than similar brands. They have buttery soft cashmere sweater starting at $50, luxurious Italian leather bags, and so much more. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get the high-end goods you'll love without the high price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com style for free shipping and 365-day returns. When you make decisions for your company, you look for the no-brainers. If you have a lot of mailing to do, stamps.com is the ultimate no-brainer. Use the Stamps.com mobile app to mail everything you need to keep your business running with up to 89% off USPS and UPS. Make the same no-brainer decision as over 1 million other businesses with Stamps.com. Use code PROGRAM for a special offer. That's Stamps.com, code PROGRAM.